Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening, and go Cougs. Have you noticed, it seems like every time we turn around, it's Tuesday again. Yeah. It's like Which, we were just here, and now we're back with a whole new show. I don't even know what happened since last Tuesday. Like I'm, it feels like we were here last night. Yeah, yeah. Dave McCann, Blaine Because Fowler. what happens on Wednesday through Monday doesn't really matter. No, it just all culminates into the next two hours. Welcome to the Wise Guys. We literally have so much stuff going on tonight. We just finished up the show over on BYU TV after further review where we looked at all the touchdowns from last year, 56 of them. Yeah, amazing. We, we didn't look at all 56 because we, we eliminated like the four one-yard touchdowns. The one-yard runs. But we looked at everything But we else. looked at the other 52. Yeah. Which is interesting that only four plays were one-yard runs. Yeah. The rest, it, the rest were big plays. It was a lot of fun, and you can watch it again on the BYU TV app uh, after our show, during our show, anytime, uh, anywhere, as long as you have Wi-Fi. I think that's the only requirement. But um, it was a chance to uh, – team reports tomorrow. We'll roll out our headlines in just a moment. We want to give everybody a chance to uh, hop on. But I don't know why you need to take a jab at Captain Crunch just seconds into the show. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm – you know what, though? Joe Boy. Joe Boy, I, 09. I, I, I'm but, with you. Like, plain old Captain Crunch, without the Crunch Berries, without the Blueberry. You don't have the Blueberry Crunch, too. The Captain with, doesn't deserve with, a with, cheap shot. Without All he does anything is sale. In it, without the Peanut Butter Crunch? Yeah. Who told anyway. us they like Peanut Butter Crunch? Some, one of our guests was Peanut Butter Crunch. Uh, was it the, wasn't the governor. It was... Um, uh, Max Hall. Uh, Max Hall. Max Hall likes Peanut on, Butter Max. Crunch. Anyway. Uh, and when, by the way, I don't know... Is this a better camera angle? I don't. DJ, did you do a better camera angle? Because I feel like Dave good. and I both look skinnier today. Yeah, we have skinny. I, I feel like we look we have fatter. Skinny last lenses. Then we look uh, right now. I think we're looking. These skinnier. are new lenses. Going to help us. I like Makes that. It look like we've been in the gym. Thanks so for the skinny lenses. We're messing around here for a few minutes while everyone hops on our stream, and uh, and we got uh, a lot of discussion ahead. But one thing that, that the team reports tomorrow, and so that's why tonight on on after further review, we wanted to look at all the touchdowns because it's like it's like going into an ice cream shop. And being served up, what, 52 scoops. Yes, it is. Uh, and to our audience, it's, uh, I remember that play. I remember where I was. I remember how I can't believe Baylor threw that after not warming up or, or Algier's long run or, or, or really Samson Nakua's 52-yard bomb that he caught against Virginia, which was spectacular. Yeah, the thing that struck me as we studied the film um, going into the show and then doing the show was how many times Jaron Hall made a throw in just the right place to receivers that were basically covered. Like, not just base, like well covered, yeah. but the throw was so good and the receiver was so talented. Many times it was Puka that that they completed the ball anyhow for a touchdown. I, a very high percentage of those 52 touchdowns we watched were not easy catch and throws, um, but it really, that show really demonstrated uh, Jaron Hall's ability to throw the ball deep and to put it in the right spot. It was it was really impressive. And I came out of that going, I thought it last year. I think it again. Most nights, Puka Nakua is the best player on the field for either team. I think you're right. And, and as we watch this uh, and we get ready over the next month for the season opener on September 3rd at South Florida, but, but you're looking at him going, oh, who's going to stop these guys? 
Now, obviously, they're they're going to have some turnovers. They'll have some penalties, and they'll come up against really good defenses, and it mm-hmm. won't be easy. But over the course of four quarters, who's going to stop these guys? Nobody. No. I, I, I look at the schedule, and I don't see anybody on there that I go, they can just shut this offense down. I think this offense should have the mindset. You know me, I hate to talk about the good old days, but um, – when Jim McMahon was at the helm, and you had a chance to sit down with Jim McMahon not that long ago. Yeah. And uh, when Jim McMahon was at the helm, Mark Wilson, who's coming on the show with us tonight. Right. Steve Young. We can go Max Hall, John Beck, you name it. When they had great quarterbacks at the helm, those teams went into every game thinking, this team cannot stop us. We will do whatever we want to do out there. I remember feeling that way when we were playing. I think this team should have that mentality this fall. Because I don't see anybody on this schedule that I go, wow, there's no way they're going to move the ball on this team. They'll, they will move the ball and score on anyone as long as they stay relatively healthy and are smart and don't turn the ball over. They, they, they could be a top-five offense this year. They have that potential. Hey, for you on YSGuys.com, welcome tonight. We hope you enjoy the show. If you go down and hit that purple decal in the lower right corner, you can go and create your own free Twitch account. Free and then you can join the chat with us, and you can ask us questions. You can ask Mark Wilson question. Uh, he's coming up here in just a few minutes. But that's the free engagement, and then we'll spread that around the world. And so, man, once the games get here, we want to flip the switch, say hello, and then just start answering game questions of right. what we just saw and what we're about to see. And, and you, can, you can chime in, and, and we love it when you're chiming in. Like, Shorts, what does that say? Shorts all year. Shorts all year saying <laughs> hello. Right. Shorts all year just kept, <laughs> hey, good evening, y'all. You know, that's we, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions. All right. Um, th- thanks and, for and jumping so on. Let's, we, we let's, appreciate it. Let's jump into the tease tonight. We got a big show, as we mentioned. And here's what's coming on. First of all, the Cougars report to fall camp tomorrow morning. First practice is Thursday, and we'll be over there to watch that. We have a lot with John Swift, the chief of staff. Uh, for Kalani Sataki a little, little bit later tonight on how that all plays out, this yep. reporting yep. and getting to practice. And, and tomorrow's, you know, they've got we'll, – we'll talk to John a little bit more about it, but it's about compliance meetings and all – just getting everybody up to speed. And, and how do you get your number? And, and yeah. well, you know what else we're, we're going to ask We're talking about all that. Uh, what uniform colors, BYU, are you going to wear against Notre Dame? I don't know what he's going to tell us, but we know he knows the answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so he knows. Him. So we got Mark Wilson, I mentioned just a minute ago, who will join us in a few minutes. BYU's first quarterback – to be selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, he reported to the Cougars August 1975. Wow. Um, we'll see what he remembers about his first day. First day for a lot of these guys. Really, first day to practice this Thursday. I'm interested to see what Mark was thinking when he came into camp for the very first time. The hype keeps building for BYU's current quarterback, Jaron Hall. Blaine's going to roll out his three keys. Got Blaine's him. three keys Got him. for Jaron's success. Yep. It's simple. Yeah. It's a simple game. And as we mentioned, John Swift's going to join us, the chief of staff for right. Kalani Sataki, and we're going to talk about all things reporting, getting into camp, getting to the practice field, and, and some of those uniforms. NFL training camps are in full swing. Um, every, everybody's up and running now, right? Every single team has reported. We'll take a look at all the former Cougars trying to secure a roster spot. We got a little bit of a report from our guy uh, Dave Nixon today when we were doing after yeah. further review on Taysom Hill. Um, and Danny Sorensen's there with Taysom, but we'll we'll fill you in on what everybody's doing, how they're doing. Hey, mom of Gin Man and little Gin Man, we can't wait for football too. So thanks for joining the show, and and thanks for hopping on Twitch and and joining our global so, uh, group chat. So because of my colorblindness, see the really dark. Yeah. Is it blue? Yeah. It's what's dark blue. what's the name? I can't even see it. 
The Outlaw Bandit. Yeah, Outlaw Bandit. Um, hey, we love you too, man. By the way, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, but I can never read. I can never read his handle because some something about my color blindness and the way that all blends together that messes me up on that one. Doctor so. Catch One Thousand Crunch Rules, baby. Yeah. It's good to have a friend out there tonight. <laughs> thanks, Doctor Catch. All right, let's kick off our countdown as we've done since we came on the air in May. How, and, how and many the, day, the days? For, so this for, I'll start with the first one, but I want then I want you to see if you can remember how many days it was when we on the very first show because because okay. we're one day mm. until the Cougars report to fall camp. It feels like we started the show, we were like 70 days. Yeah, I think it was. Something like that. That's something. That that flew by. How about 25 days until the first college football game of the season? It'll be Austin P at Western Kentucky. That's Saturday, August 27th at 10 in the morning Mountain Time. And then Nebraska and Northwestern start 30 minutes later, and then the, the season is here. Yeah, 32 days until BYU season opener at South Florida. 32, that's not that much. No, September 3rd, and we'll... We'll, uh, we're going to have a brand new set, and we're going to bring you all the pregame uh, two hours before that game. Um, we'll, we'll take you into that game, and, uh, and then you can go over and watch it on, I think it's on ESPN. One of the ESPN. ESPNU. Yeah, ESPN. But we're not messing around on BYU TV this year. Oh, no. You know, and we, it's big we talked time. about that a couple weeks ago. Two-hour pregame shows. It's a five Brand alarm. new sets at, on the road. We're a brand new set at home where we're going to be out in Cougar Canyon with all the fans. You can come hang out with us, all that stuff. Yeah, we stuff. might even change the name, and we're not going to tell you that. Yeah. That has to be an announcement. <laughs> How about the NFL countdown? Yeah, so, oh, do you even, uh, do we have the NFL countdown? I was, I was going, oh, two yeah. days. We, we forget, we forgot 40 days until the whole moment against Baylor. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because that's what I was thinking 40 about. 40 days. Yeah, so NFL countdown, two days into the Jags and the Raiders play on Thursday night on NBC in a preseason game. You know, what I love about that is it's football. None of the guys are going to play that, that we know. But it doesn't matter to me. It's the visual homecoming. It's the right. visual of we're going to see football on TV Thursday, and then we're going to see it every week through the Super Bowl. So we have to have Thursday before we can have the other stuff. Yeah, and so, that's Thursday night on NBC. So Jacksonville, isn't that the big quarterback uh, challenge at Jacksonville? Is that with uh, – Isn't that – It's uh, the dude from the Browns. Yeah. Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield but fighting he, the dude from the Jets. F- fighting uh, Sam Darnold. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going no, on. No, is that right? I think that's in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you're right. <laughs> we pay way more attention to college football, hey. although we do follow our good college friends that, that played here that are in the NFL. So yeah. uh, 20 days until the Jets and the Falcons on Monday night, ESPN. Um, and that's, that's when we get to see um, our good friends, Tyler Algier, who yeah. – at absolutely has a shot at being the starting running back for the Atlanta Falcons against our good man, Zach Wilson, who is the starting quarterback of the New York Jets. And BYU Sports Addict, last week we did talk about a possible NFL watch party with that game because it's on ESPN, and we're going to do it. We're going to do it right here at wiseguys.com. That's um, August 22nd at 6 o'clock. Jack, we're good for that? Yeah, and So we, we're going to have a watch not, party. We might not um, watch the whole game. But we're going to watch as long as Tyler and, and Zach, Zach are playing. Are so right? plan plan to be with us for that one. That means you have ESPN as uh, ESPN at home on, and we have it here. And then we we watch because we can't show you the game. It'd be a violation of everything. Something, but, but it's we, a violation of something. Yeah, but we can all watch the game and react together as if we're sitting in the same room. So yes, yeah. uh, August twenty second. That's a Monday night, six o'clock Mountain Time. 
for our Wise Guys Watch Party, our first one. Yep, get to watch two of our favorite guys. It's going to be good. 38 so, days until the regular season opener in the I, NFL. I think I'll make a prediction right now. Tyler Algier is going to have a major role. I don't know if he'll be the full-time starter, but he's going to have a major role in that offense. That, And I'm also going to say that, that Zach Wilson takes a big-time jump this year. Like he moves into the top half of the NFL as a quarterback. Sports all year says football can't come soon enough, but it is over too fast. Do you think that's why we love it? So yeah, and and here's the thing: it's like baseball. I mean, nothing. You love the Cubs. I there's nothing. You know, I love going to a major league baseball park and getting a dog and and, and a diet coke and sitting out out there and watching it and taking it all in. But they play so many games yeah. that the games just don't matter enough, right. right? Until you get to playoffs. Football is football. Every everything. game is a big deal. In college and in the NFL, you lose a game, it can knock you out of the playoffs. In the NFL, you lose a game, uh, your 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 shot at the rankings or a championship yeah, are, and, are limited. And for BYU as an independent, you're you're wringing your hands all week long, going, "We have to win this game." It might be Notre Dame, it might be Utah Tech, but we have to win this game to to stay relevant. And so, right. you know, that's that's kind of how we are. Speaking of the Cougars, countdown to kickoff Saturday, September third. It's at two Eastern. Noon Mountain Time over on BYU TV. Cougars and Bulls at 4 mm-hmm. Eastern, 2 Mountain on ESPNU. And then the live postgame show yep. to follow. So that's our countdown. We're counting down yeah. to the and countdown. The, and, and we were talking about maybe making that road trip where we'd all be on set. But we're going to send Spencer back there. And uh, and you and I and Nick's and the gang will be in studio. Brand new studio built just for us for away games, and uh, and we'll be bringing you all of that. And we'll take you into the stadium with Spencer, and we'll go back and forth, break hey, be- it all down for before you. Before we get to our first guest, I want to show you a picture of uh, Kalani Sataki and uh, oh, Sylvia. Yes. And Timberly, his wife, gave us permission to show this on The Wise Guys. Here it is. She took the picture, and then she posted it on her Facebook page. And I texted her, and I go, we got to show this on Wise Guys. Uh you know, and, and Sylvia's got a smile on because um, she, she knows the offensive line is huge. She's going to have a big year this year and may make her dad happy. What what Kalani's dreaming about, I'm not so sure, but how about that picture? He's dreaming of football glory. But you know what? Kalani looks like he's really content and really happy in that picture, doesn't he? Yeah. A baby seems, Sylvia seems like she's unbelievably happy. I can tell you that, that Kalani and Timberley are both really excited about this. It, at first, they were thinking, what were we thinking this is like 12 years since we've had a baby. This is, do we even know how to do this anymore? And, you know, and of course, Brendan and I said, it's like riding a bike. You can just do it. You just get right back on it and you just go. And and I'll tell you one thing, that baby will get lots and lots of love. Um, and you can see that she feels really uh, content and really safe there in the big arms of Kalani. That's awesome. Hey, next week, Super Bowl champion Dennis Pitta will be here. National champion Mark Pope. Remember, he won the title with the Kentucky Wildcats. Mm-hmm. BYU's basketball coach, he'll be with us as well. Then August 16th, Marie Osmond will be live here in studio. And a national champion quarterback, Robbie Bosco, as we look to the coming weeks. Our first guest tonight has two Super Bowl rings and a Sammy Baugh trophy. He was BYU's first consensus All-American and first Cougar quarterback selected in the first round of the NFL draft. He's also a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. He threw 61 touchdowns at BYU and 84 more in the National Football League. It's a pleasure to welcome the legendary number six, Mark Wilson. Mark, did I read that intro that you sent me uh, accurately? Uh-huh. <laughs> No. I didn't send it to you. It's been too, so many years. I would have never remembered any of that. <laughs> no, it's 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 awesome stuff. And 
And and Mark is one of the guys that got it all going here. That quarterback tradition. Oh yeah. That that everyone talks about, and and you know, we had Gary on the show, Mark Gary Shidey, and I know that you you're close to Gary, and he's one of the reasons you came here. But but that quarterback tradition is is really something, and you're right at the center of that, um, really getting it going. And and the first BYU quarterback to be a first round draft pick, that 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 has to just feel special. Um, and and what what does that quarterback tradition at BYU mean to you? Oh, you know, it, it's funny when you're involved in it. You know, you don't think about it too much. Uh, but you know, as the years go by, it means more and more. I mean, it's such a great fraternity. It was such a great experience to be there, especially during that time with Lavelle, and then all the go- all the guys that I played with, and all the guys that followed. You know, it's just. It's just, uh, you know, one of the real joys of my life to, to have been a part of that. Hey, what's your favorite Lavelle Edwards quote? You had to have heard a million in practice, games, the aftermath, the after years. What, what is it? Well, it's more of a story. You know, I think my favorite was in, in 1978, going into the 1978 season. That was my junior season. In those years, Playboy magazine, they would give you know, kind of prognostications to start the year. And they estimated that BYU had finished seven and five, which was not very, was not very good, right? Yeah. And uh, they asked Lavelle about it. And this is my favorite Lavelle kind of quote. And he said, well, uh, to be honest with you, it's not that big of a deal because there's not many that read Playboy magazine in Provo, Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dave and I always tease. Um, when I was there, we went up and played Wyoming in a blizzard, which I'm sure you've had that wonderful experience of playing up in beautiful weather in Laramie, and the fans are so nice to us. But it, it literally was snowing sideways, and we lost. And this was this was Jimmy Mack's senior year. And uh, afterwards, Sports Illustrated was there, and, and they said to him, what did you think about that? He goes, well, you know, I thought a lot about it. I would rather lose and live in Provo than win and win, live in Laramie any time. <laughs> And it was the National Sports Illustrated Quote of the Week, and people in Laramie have hated us ever they, since. They still remember that. That, that one you well, don't they, get over. Yeah, they hated us long before he said that. That's though. true. That's true. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurting any feelings that hadn't already been hurt. So t- take us back um, to your first meeting. How did that go with Lavelle Edwards back in 73, 74 time frame? You were, you were at Shoreline High School outside of Seattle, and, you, and your first opportunity to meet with Lavelle. Well, I was actually at Shorecrest High School. Oh, Shorecrest. Shorecrest. My bad. Shoreline. Yeah, I was at Shorecrest. You know, it was a crazy time. Uh, you know, my high school, we didn't have a lot of guys that went from high school into, you know, college football or major college football to that, you know. And so to, you know, to be a part of that and to have coaches come, especially coaches like Lavelle come, was such a huge, huge thing. Uh, the guy that actually recruited me was a guy named Dave Craigthorpe, who was the offensive yeah. line mm-hmm. coach. and. Dave had that area of the country. That's how they divided it up. And, and Dave became, you know, very close friends to, to not just me, but to my parents. And that, that makes a huge difference, you know, in recruiting when the, when the parents can trust the coach and Lavelle came kind of late in the process and, you know, Lavelle was Lavelle and yeah, you know, just a wonderful guy. My parents felt like they could trust him with their son. And, uh, you know, that was kind of that. Now USC was high on your list, right? As a sophomore or a junior. Was it USC well, actually, at Washington? Actually, yeah, actually, what happened to me was um, in my senior season, I broke my jaw in the second or third game of the year and, and only played, you know, two games my senior season. In high school, prior to that time, I was being recruited by, you know, a lot, just about everybody on the West Coast, for sure. And in those days, it was the Pac-8. Yeah. 
And the University of Washington was even, I only lived 20 minutes from the campus, the University of Washington, but they were going through a transition. Don James was leaving or Don James was coming, coming in and, and there was a lot of questions about what that program was going to do. And I didn't know who Don James was. He came from Kent State and I didn't even know where Kent State was as senior high school. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was not really an option in my mind. Really what sealed it was, you know, you talked about Gary Scheide. What sealed it was that Gary led the nation in passing in 1974. And that got my attention. And uh, what really got me thinking was, you know, as a quarterback, did I want to go to a school like even USC, because they they were recruiting me, did I want to go there and hand off, you know, 55 times a game? Or did I want to go to a place like BYU that had come on the national scene as a team that was dedicated to the passing game and, and get a chance to throw it 35 to 40 times a game? And that's really what it came down to. And, uh, you know, Gary showed that it could be done and showed it could be done very successfully. And uh, like I said, that got my attention. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what kind of swung it. That's why I went to BYU. How did you, um, I mean, this is long before SportsCenter and long before ESPN. Uh, so you're over in Washington State. How did you follow BYU? How did you know what Shady was up to? Well, you had, you had to, you know, you had to work at it. You had to kind of try and get a hold of uh, papers and, you know, that kind of thing. It was mostly print media at the time. And and then you'd have to get the box score kind of thing and read the stats. And, and but that's what I did. And, you know, I, I was part of a member of the church. And so through the kind of the member of the church network, we kind of kept track of what was going on and people would share information. And that's kind of how it happened back in those days. And when you came, Gifford Nielsen was here. And and uh, what, what did you learn from from Giff in the time that you were serving as a backup to him before he got injured? Well, Gifford, you know, let me say this, first of all, that, you know, Gifford is a unique guy, great guy. Everyone knows that. And Gifford was so generous with his time. But I would stand right behind, you know, Blaine, you know this in practice, you know, I would stand right behind the huddle. So I would hear the play in the cuddle, even on seven on seven. And then I'd watch Gifford drop back and I'd try to read the defense from there and figure out where Gifford was going to throw the ball. At first, I had no idea. But after a while watching him, I got to the point where I, I knew where he was going to throw it based on the route and based on the coverage just about every time. But Gifford was a master. I mean, he could read defenses and Gifford was so smart. And I honestly believe to this day that if Gifford not, had not been heard in 1977, he would have won the Heisman Trophy. He would have been the first, you know, consensus All-American. He would have been the first first round draft pick. Uh, he would have done all those things. Uh, he had you know, prior to his injury, he had a phenomenal season going. We had a phenomenal season going and Gifford would have done all those things. So getting to that close, that proximity to a guy that could play that well and was that smart and that well versed in the offense and getting to watch him every single day was just such an amazing thing for me. A couple of uh, questions from our live streamers tonight from around the world. Uh, Medward one says Wilson for president is 78. You'd have to go back in time to put that campaign together but uh, the outlaw bandit says hey mark what was it like having jimmy mack as a teammate on the other side there was gif at first and then jimmy mack on the backside. well you know there's one more guy you know that has forgotten a guy named dan hartwig dan hartwig came and uh, danny was a very highly recruited guy to walnut creek california big guy six four he weighed about 230 as a freshman in high school and can throw it about 80 yards in fact dan, it was funny dan would get a little 
discombobulated when he dropped back sometimes and he'd just say, okay, forget it. He'd throw it down there 80 yards. Now it wasn't completed, but everybody would go, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. I mean, this is unbelievable. And Dan left, got, you know, there was a lot of competition. I mean, you, you mentioned Gifford's name, my name, Jim's name. And then Dan was in that mix and Dan got a little impatient and transferred out. And I can't remember the name of the school he went to in California, but Dan ended up being like a 12th round draft pick for the 49ers. So yeah. there were four of us on that field together that all ended up in the NFL. And it was, a, you know, an amazing experience. And of course, nobody knew, knew anything at the time in terms of who was who and what we we're going to do. Right. All you knew is that, you know, we'd never seen a collection of guys. I'd never seen a collection of guys like this before. And if you went to practice and you weren't on your game, you're going to get embarrassed. So you had to show up every day <laughs> and pay attention and, you know, give it your best effort or, you know, these guys that were around you were going to embarrass you. It's, it's but back to the question about Jim. Jim was great because Jim's such a great competitor and Jim was such a great player that, like I said, you know, having all of us in that mix was really, a you know, for all of us, to be honest, it was a great thing because it pushed all of us, yeah. you know, well beyond we probably would have gone, you know, without that kind of competition. It's interesting, Mark, because today – you, you just don't see that. You don't see four NFL quarterbacks on the same. I don't even care if it's Alabama. You don't see it because guys coming out of high school are going, well, when am I going to play? Am I going to play as a freshman? If I'm not going to play at least by my sophomore year, I'm out. I'll go someplace else because they're promising me I'm going to. And they don't They don't want to compete. Oh, you signed that guy? Well, if you sign that guy, then I'm not, I'm not coming. I'm going someplace else. It, it's very, very different now than it was then. What's the difference? And is it, is it good for kids to have that mentality these days? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I guess, you know, from where, based on my experience, I would say no. And, the, and, and I know it's not easy to stay and to kind of stay in the fight and stay in the struggle and, and keep, you know, grinding because that's what it took. But it took that for all of us. And at the end of the day, all of us were better for it. And if I had left or Jim had left or, you know, Dan did leave, but uh, if I had left, I, I, I just know it would not have turned out the same for me. And I don't know, I can't speak for Jim, but I, I do know that that competition every day, that level of competition every day, in my experience, was a phenomenal thing. Mark Wilson's with the Wise Guys tonight, legendary BYU quarterback. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to show some highlights from your San Diego State game. And then we've got some highlights from your time with the Raiders. We'll go back in time a little bit. But before we get to that, 1977, Gift goes down with a season-ending injury. Your first starts against Colorado State. And so you can imagine uh, the great anxiety among Cougar Nation. You come in, you throw seven touchdown passes. And you win the game 63-17. to 17. You get one chance to make a first impression. We'll talk about the next week in a minute. But in that moment, Mark, what did that feel like? Well, it was, you know, it was crazy. It, it totally was because nobody expected that. And to be truthful, I didn't expect it either. In yeah. fact, the night before the game from the hotel, I sent my dad a postcard from the hotel. And I said, Dad, I'm dedicating this game to you because more than likely this will be the first game I ever start in college football. <laughs> 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 so it came out of nowhere. I will say, you know, the, the backstory to, to that game and, and how that all happened was really pretty interesting because Doug Scovla was the offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And at, when we knew that Gifford was, was going to be lost for the season, he called me into his office. It was like on Tuesday. And uh, I knew that Gifford was lost and I knew that I was going to have to step up and play. And I hadn't, I hadn't started a game since my second game as a senior in high school. So it'd been a long time because yeah. I redshirted. I sat out as a freshman. And uh, Doug put this playbook 
down in front of me on a, on a desk. And he said, I want you to take these a sticky. And he put a, a stack of sticky tabs, sticky notes. And he said, I want you to put a sticky note on every play you like in this offense. And, he, and then he said, because Mark, you're not Gifford. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, it and, and it doesn't make any sense for me to call plays that Gifford's good at or that Gifford even likes if you don't like those plays. Right. And so I put a sticky tab on all the plays I like. It just so happened they were all rollout plays. Now, how many times do you think we rolled out with Gifford as the quarterback? Zero. Never. Not right. one time. And so Doug looked at me and said, what's with all these rollout plays? And I said, well, here's the deal. I, I grew up as a little kid playing two on touch in the street, and I'm a lot more comfortable running around. And, you know, if you just make me drop back, especially in the face of this pass rush from Colorado State, because they had two guys that were eventually first-round draft picks off that defensive line, we're going to have problems. And so just let me roll out shrink the field, take away some options. And if I can't figure it out, I'll just run. I'll get a few yards anyway. <laughs> and to Doug's credit, you know, and this is a big part of this story, to Doug's credit, because Doug had coached Roger Staub back in Navy when he won the Heisman Trophy. He'd coached in the NFL. And here was this skinny guy from Seattle who had never played, who wanted to roll out. And Doug changed the entire offense, and we rolled out. And it caught Colorado State completely by surprise, and that's what led to the seven touchdowns. Yeah. Wow, that's that is a phenomenal story. I, so, so Mark Doug recruited me, and and the thing that I remember most is I asked him about Steve, and I said, "Well, I know Steve. We've known each other, like because we're both. He was in Connecticut. I was in New York, and I was like, what what what's Steve's future? Is he going to stay at quarterback?' And he goes, "You don't need to worry about Steve Young. He will never play quarterback in here because I will never have a left-handed <laughs> quarterback ever." And of course, he left shortly after that recruiting season, and then Ted Tolner took over. And Ted didn't seem to have a problem with the lefty, and it all turned out okay for Steve. But Doug promised me that Steve would never play quarterback at BYU if I came out there. I thought that was awesome. But but for him to adjust the game plan like that is is pretty amazing. And and then then the next week, you know, Dave mentioned you go out to Wyoming, um, and and that game wasn't. Wasn't wasn't quite uh, was different. Quite the same as no, it was. It was actually the same because uh, when I when I went to Colorado State and threw the seven touchdowns, I set a whack record. Right, and, and then I thought after doing that, I thought you know this this is not that hard. I'm just going to keep setting these whack records, and I did. When I went to Wyoming, I just continued on this whack record setting pace with six <laughs> interceptions in one game. But you did win. You did. You guys win. won that game. We did win, and we won it on a rollout in the late in the fourth quarter. We threw a touchdown to the left-hand side of the end zone on a rollout play that kind of we used the week before. And, you know, it's so funny when you look back because uh, Colorado State, I'm sure they thought they're bringing in this guy who's never played. We're going to blitz the heck out of him, and this guy's going to have no chance. And, you know, Blaine, by blitzing, it's man coverage. All it's, over, actually, yeah. it's actually easier, right? Well, then Wyoming said, okay, we just saw what he did against man coverage. We're going to drop eight guys into coverage. Oh, wow. And that's what that's what they did all day. And I kept trying to throw it into that coverage. It didn't work so well. <laughs> yeah. that's Hey, that's what BYU did to USC the last couple of times they played. them. tried to run that air raid. BYU was like, we'll just drop eight. And if their quarterback won't run around, then then they're going to have problems. And they did. But, but if somebody would have told you at those first two games that phenomenal start against Corral State, the little bit of a struggle, even though you get against a win against Wyoming, that you're going to finish your BYU career with a 22 and four record. You're going to be a first round draft pick of the national football league. What would you have said at that point? Well, I probably would have said, you know, you're, you're crazy. I mean, I would have hoped it would have turned out that way, but I think in that moment, I, I would have had a lot of doubts about that. Let's go to 1978. This was a very interesting time. Um, 
Lavelle decides to have you split time with Jim McMahon. Uh, and we'll get to 79 in a moment. But just the notion of, of sharing snaps, what was that like? Well, again, you got to know the backstory because it wasn't exactly that. Okay. So Doug left, Doug left and went to the NFL. He went back and they hired a guy named Wally English who came in and, and, you know, it, it didn't turn out so well. I mean, <laughs> let, let me just say after 40 years that Wally's Wally had a lot of problems with uh, Doug and all the success Doug had. And so Wally wanted to kind of forge his own way. So Wally changed the whole offense. Wally changed all kinds of things because Wally was afraid that if we did the same thing in 78 that we did in 77, kept the same offense with the same guys, that Wally wouldn't get any credit. They just say it was Doug's offense and Doug's guys. So Wally went out of his way to change everything under the sun. And, you know, we led the nation in passing in 1977. I don't believe we led the Western Athletic Conference in passing in 1978. Really? And it was a miserable year. It was it was not just for me. It was miserable for Jim. It was miserable for everybody. And, and here's a story that nobody knows. So when that season was over, I had I, I had registered. So I was basically ready to, um, you know, graduate. But I I I was done. And I talked to my dad at Christmas time and said, I can't go to another year like this. I think I'm just going to take a few classes. I'm going to graduate. And I'm going to move on to law school. And that's what I was going to do. So I went to Lavelle and because uh, my dad said, OK, I'll support you now. But you got to tell Lavelle. You can't not tell Lavelle. Yeah. So I went I waited about two weeks and I was too scared to go tell him. But I walked in finally and said, Lavelle, I got to tell you, I, I'm not going to come back. I'm just going to go to law school and graduate. And Lavelle said, I, you know, you don't have to decide that today. There's no reason you have to decide that day. Wait, wait or two or three months, let, you know, see how it feels and then come and talk to me in two months. So I said, okay, but but what you need to know is when I told him that he pulled out a manila, uh, a uh, legal pad and he wrote my name down and I was at least 20 guys down on that legal pad. 20 guys had gone in there before me. Really? Wow. And said the same thing. (laughs) So I wasn't the only guy that felt that way. And this is what Lavelle did. Lavelle was a crafty, smart guy. Lavelle went to the NCAA coaches convention. He talked up Wally English and he got Wally English hired by Pittsburgh. And then he brought Doug Scoville back. And Doug Scoville was the coach in 1979. And we were right back at it. But 78 was a miserable year. Wow. And wow. I've never said that before, but I think after 40 years, it's finally time. Yes, you can story. say it. And, and, and when I talked to Lavelle about the two of you, I was like, what, what about the decision to, to redshirt Jim? And, and he does say, Doug felt like we had two NFL quarterbacks. So Doug, he he does he did credit Doug. He said Doug felt like we had two NFL quarterbacks. We had to figure out a way to split them up. Mark had already redshirted. Jim hadn't. That was the only way. Jim didn't like it, but but that's what we had to do. And and it turned out right. Doug was right. That's what Lavelle told me about that. And so about uh, and and how did how did that get communicated to you? Um, that you're going to be the guy, this is going to be your deal, and Jim's going to redshirt. Well, what happened was Lavelle called a meeting, you know, in like February. And it was odd because we never had team meetings in February. And we all met over in the Richards building, and we're all sitting there. We didn't know what was going on because it was a, kind of a strange out-of-nowhere meeting. And and Doug and Lavelle said, hey, I want the defense to go down the hall to this room, and the offense, I want you to stay here. And so the defense got up and walked out. And then Lavelle said, there's somebody I want you to meet. And Doug and Lavelle walked out of the room. So we're all sitting and they're like, what the, what's going on? And in walks Doug Scoville. So we didn't know any of this was happening. Oh, wow. And in walked Doug Scoville. And Doug was so funny. 
he walked in he and this is what he said he said we got a guy sitting in this room that's better than anybody i had last year in chicago he said i don't know what happened this year but we're going to get back to work. And Doug walked out of the room. That was the end of the meeting. And all of us guys said, okay, we're in, we're not going anywhere. That's awesome. <laughs> and that was it. What a, what a story. And, and I interviewed Jim McMahon um, a couple of weeks ago for our uh, season premiere of countdown to kickoff. And, uh, and I asked him, um, cause you know, yeah, he didn't like sitting out cause he wanted to play. Um, but the way it all worked out, I asked him was Lavelle Wright. And even Jim said, you know what? He was right. I didn't like it at the time, but he was right. And sometimes you just have to listen to your parent or your coach or uh, uh, somebody who guides your life because they just might be right and change your entire life. Changed no, yours, exactly, changed Jim's. You're exactly right. And, you know, I'll even go back to 1978. Well, I remember when Lavelle called me up to his house to tell me that Jim was going to start. That You know, that's not fun. That is not fun, I got to tell you. But, you know, at that time, given what was going on and all, all the things that were happening, it was probably the right decision, too. I didn't like it so much. But, you know, looking back, you know, it probably was the right decision. Lavelle was not very often wrong. Lavelle was a very, very smart, intuitive, insightful guy, very, you know, sensitive to his feelings about things. And Lavelle was, you know, in most cases, always right. And we could trust that. Yeah. Well, and all it did was produce two first-round draft picks. You were the first, and then Jim right on your heels two, uh, two years later. And you both have two Super Bowl and, rings. And have Super Bowl rings to show for us. Well, so well, the I'll proof go, is I'll, in the pudding. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it produced more than that because Robbie came, Ty came. All those guys came yeah. because of yep. the success that had happened earlier. Absolutely. I, you know, We were talking about that San Diego State game, and uh, that was one of the games that affected me in coming to BYU. I was an LDS kid growing up in New York. But I didn't know BYU that well. And I, I was – Penn State and Pittsburgh were my two home teams. And I took recruiting visits to both of those places. I was supposed to go play for Jopa and, uh, and got a scholarship offer there. But, but two games stood out in my mind. The one was the San Diego State game. I think it was the first BYU game ever on network television. Um, and yeah, we have, on we have, ABC. On ABC. So we could get it back in New York. And – I remember you coming out in that game. Al Michaels is calling this game for Pete's sakes. And and you completed your first three balls for three touchdowns. <laughs> I'm like, what's the pass efficiency rating on this deal? Like it was it was so ridiculous. It was jaw dropping. What was that day like on national television? Yeah, it's so funny, Blaine, because again, the backstory is so funny because you know, we all knew this game was on national television and you know, I was in the thick of the Heisman Trophy thing. And so there, it was a, it was an interesting game from that standpoint. And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes in warmups, you've had this experience. You can't complete a ball to save your life and there's no defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys are just running routes and you're throwing it over their head and you're throwing it at their feet and you're throwing it everywhere, but where it's supposed to go. And warming up for that game, I could not complete a pass. <laughs> and Doug Scoville did not want to take the offense into the locker room until I'd at least completed one pass. <laughs> So finally, I, I completed a pass. And as soon as I completed one pass, Doug said, okay, that's it. Let's go in the locker room. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the locker room thinking, man, this is a great time to forget how to throw the ball. A nationally televised game, Heisman Trophy candidate. This is perfect. And then, you know, what happens is you get in the game and it, it's part, you know, you don't think about it and you're just reacting. And then 
thank goodness uh, we completed a few passes. <laughs> well, you throw for four touchdowns. You ran for one. You win 63-14. to 14, And I was watching this yesterday and, and listening to Al Michaels' commentary, and he says, this Mark Wilson is as good as advertised because this was a huge opportunity for BYU to be on ABC. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And that was, you know, of course, that was just the start because from then on, you know, it was not uncommon to have BYU on national television because they were doing some interesting things in college football at the time, the way that they were throwing the ball. And I, as I watched that film, I don't know, I, you, I hope you could see that um, from, from your vantage point, Mark, on your screen, but watch just some of the names and, and some of the people that we've been friends with. I'm, I'm watching Scott Phillips run around out there and catching balls Homer and play out there and Homer and, and Eric out there catching balls yeah. and, and, Dan uh, and Danny Plater, like who's a, yeah. was a dear friend of ours right until, until he just passed away, came to our house yeah. every Sunday for dinner for about the last five years before he passed. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I just, just watching those uh, gives me a little bit of goosebumps. What, What's that feel like for you to see that old gang out there on the field with you? Yeah, it brings it brings so many smiles to my face. I such a great memories playing with those guys, Clay Brown at tight end, of course. And I mean, we just had such a great team. Uh, you know, I I, I I I've said this too, and I've been on record saying this. I know BYU's had some great teams, but I'll tell you, I'll take that '79 team against any team in BYU's history. We had some great, and and not just on offense. I mean. Yeah. We had great players on defense. I mean, the defense often gets overlooked, but we could play the way we did on offense because we could take every chance under the sun because if it didn't work out so well, it didn't matter because we had such a great defense. And knowing you have such a great defense is such a comfort for a quarterback because you can do some things you wouldn't ordinarily do. What do you think the score would be oh, no. if the 79 team played the 84 team? Don't, why do you want to do that to Mark and I right Cause, now? Because we're, we're – we're deep into the truth here. Hey, I'm going to say that I'll say this right now. 79's <laughs> team way better offensively than we were in 84. Way better. What about defense? I, I will put that defense with Kurt Govea and Leon White and that whole crew and Kyle Morrell. Would you want those guys chasing you down, Mark? <laughs> no, that's a, you're right. That's a great defense. You know, I, I don't want to say what the score would be either because that was a that also was a, just a phenomenal team in 1984. Yeah, 79's one of the best offenses I've ever seen in college football. That 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 Mark um you know led and and engineered just such a phenomenal season. You, you, know, you need to know Mark whenever we talk about the great teams, we we always talk 79 80 because they were so prolific yeah. offensively. 79 yeah. 80. Steve Young always says 83 yeah, might have Steve been the best. Yeah, Steve says 83. Ever. We're like, "Come on, Steve." <laughs> but but and they were really good. They lost the opener to Baylor. So we go we go 79 80, 83, 84, and then we always give 96 their due because because that team that Sark played 15 um, games. Yeah, they played 15 games. Yeah. They won the Cotton Bowl first New Year's Day win. So so those are the ones. So that 79 team is always always in that conversation when we do shows on the greatest teams in history. And, and I well, think that that offense is one of the best I've ever seen in college football, 79. Hey, here's we a, some, we had some great players. Here's a, a comment from bluesville one Mark, happy to be listening in to your conversation tonight. Have you had a chance to visit the facilities on campus? Any remembrances on the locker room equipment, Floyd Johnson, et cetera. Oh, that's a great, great comment. Yeah, you know, it's what it, what we had in 79 and 78 and th those years doesn't look exactly like it, lists, it does now, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal what they have now, and I, I'm really happy that they, they have it and they've, you know, they've done so well. And then back to Floyd, you know, th they're – 
Lavelle was certainly a huge influence on all of our lives. There's no, there's no denying it. In fact, we can't really even overstate the influence that Lavelle had on our lives. But the other guy who was right in that same boat was Floyd. And really few people even know Floyd or have ever heard of Floyd. But Floyd was a one-of-a-kind guy who all of us dearly loved. And he took it upon himself to kind of, you know, to shepherd us in so many different ways. And, and how we did it, Floyd would show up in the very early hours of the morning to get into to that locker room. And he would, we all knew he was there starting about 4.30 in the morning. And if we had trouble, if we had problems, if we had things that were bothering us, we'd get up early and we'd get to that locker room at 5, 5.30 and we'd spend some time with Floyd and he'd get us right. And I can't tell you how many times I spent, you know, those early morning hours with Floyd. I loved Floyd. I, there's, I, couldn't, lo I couldn't love a man more than Floyd Johnson. Yeah. He was a huge influence in my life. That's great. Yeah, Lo Lo um, he, uh, he basically organized what would become eventually the BYU Athlete Speakers Bureau. And he would get us all involved in speaking around around the state and around the country. And he, he's, he's just like the in, impromptu bishop of the team. Um, and, yeah. And, and, was, and, and was phenomenal. Like just he had such an amazing impact on all of us over many generations, yeah. over many generations. Really cool. Um, there's a, one of our uh, uh, listeners, Barrister Beast, just tweeted in or, or uh, texted in and said, I love hearing about this era. My dad, Lloyd Eldridge, played during this time. And then, we, of course, we both remember Lloyd really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, look, so you're 11-0. and 0, You're number nine in the country. You go to the Holiday Bowl, and Indiana beats you 39-38 to 38 after a 27-yard field goal goes awry as, as time expired. I was there as a little kid in the stands. From my angle, I thought the field goal was good. That's how bad of an angle our seats were. But um, that was going to get you undefeated, maybe up in the top five or higher to finish out. Um, sports has a lot of highs and lows. Um, what was the moment like walking off the field after that? Oh, it was, it was heartbreaking and it was heartbreaking for a lot of reasons. You know, one of my best friends on that team was Brent Johnson, the kicker right. and still, and still is a great, a great friend of mine. And Brent had kicked, I think three or four field goals in that game. And I mean, from deep, you know, 50 some plus yards were a couple of them. And looking back, we didn't do Brent any favors because you know, the hash marks so wide in college football. And if you are close to the end zone and you're trying to kick a field goal, you got a really funky angle to make that kick. And what we should have done is we should have, uh, I should have ran the ball to the middle of the field and fallen, just fallen down and then kicked it from the middle of the field. So we didn't do Brent any favors. And, I, and we all talk about a 27 yard field goal, but nobody realizes that at that angle, that's not very easy. It's not an easy kick. Yeah. And it was just heartbreaking to, to lose that way because Brent had had such a great year. Brent was a great kicker in his own right. And, you know, Brent's had to talk about that and live that down all these years. <laughs> Believe me, people often rem remind him of that kick. And it would have been fun to go undefeated. It would have been the, it would have been awesome. And that was our goal going into the season. We knew we had a great team, and that was to win to, to be the first team to win a bowl game for BYU. That's really what was on my mind. And so to lose it that way was a rough rough way to lose it. Well, and it, it was made worse because it was the only bowl game Lee Corso uh, ever Lee won. Lee Corso, I've never heard the, the end of it from Indiana. Lee. He brings it up every time. It's I, all he's got. Yeah, it's all that's he's it. got. That's it. So, hey, our, our uh, one of our viewers, a BYU sports addict, says, "Hey, Mark." What's the single biggest difference you see between the physicality of the game today and when you played? 
Well, no question. Everyone is, and you mentioned the comment, everyone is so much bigger and faster. You know, uh, I mean, for instance, my starting center at BYU, a guy named Scott Nielsen was, you know, about 640, probably weighed 215, 218, 220 at the most. You know, I didn't weigh all that much less than him as the quarterback. And now, of course, that, that'd be unheard of. There's just no way you could survive with, you know, a center that weighed 220 pounds. So the game is is quite different. Guys are so are huge now, uh, you know, and and the speed of the game's picked up too because people. I mean, let's be honest, people are better athletes today than they were in the mid '70s, and and there's just a lot of things you can do with athletes of that caliber. And you've seen even the progression of the offensive schemes and the and all the you know player different formations and and uh, sets that they use. I mean, it's really fun to see what's happened. But it's a different game today than it was in the mid '70s, no question about it. Mark Wilson's with us on the Wise Guys. Let's go. Uh, let's go back in time here and and watch you play for the Raiders. They take you in the first round. How different was playing quarterback in the NFL from playing quarterback at BYU through your personal experience? What was the What was the difference as we watched number six in silver and black? <laughs> well, to, the biggest difference was at BYU. You know, we ninety nine percent of our routes were five step drop routes, and uh, so our receivers were down the field twelve or fourteen yards. There was a lot of timing involved, and that's kind of how we played. It, you know, it it was kind of maybe the precursor to the West Coast offense. Um, then I got with the Raiders, and ninety nine percent of our routes were uh, seven step drop routes, and our receivers are down the field twenty two yards before they break. It was an entirely different way to play. It was really a power way to play, and uh, you know it took a little getting used to. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about it was um, we, we won two Super Bowls, and we won them early in my career there with yeah. the Raiders, and. And when you win the Super Bowl, you know, sometimes you get this idea that you're doing things right. But what was happening was defenses were getting a lot better, especially from a pass rush standpoint. And you just could not, you know, drop back, you know, 99% of the time with seven step drop routes and expect you're going to hold the ball for three and a half uh, seconds or so. Like you just threw that. the ball 55 yards. As you watch this video, does this that, do you remember? It, it, is this it, you? it reminds me of the, of the, of how vertical a passing game the Raiders ran when you were there. It's all vertical. There's another game. bomb. Yeah, that's, that's, that was, the, that's what I, what I meant when I talked about it was really a power game. So, you know, you had to drive the ball 25, 30 yards on just normal routes. And then we threw a lot of deep balls. It was it was a fun way to play, but it was not an easy way to play because you had to have, you know, three and a half seconds or so to throw it. And that was that got becoming increasingly more difficult, you know, as the years went on and guys like Lawrence Taylor showed up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, somebody asked us earlier, who's the best defensive player you ever faced? That That's a name that might have to come into consideration, right? Oh, yeah. And the guys that were great, you, you know, you knew they were great when when the offense changed the entire scheme that week to deal with that one guy. <laughs> That's when you knew that there was something special about that guy. <laughs> hey, here's something a lot of folks don't know. Um, in your first season with the Raiders, you're going to the Super Bowl. Dan Pastorini gets hurt. Jim Plunkett's named the starter, and that makes you the backup. So you're the backup at the Super Bowl in your first year as a pro. Are you out of your mind either praying for good health for Plunkett or uh, maybe a, a little dinger and, and all of a sudden you're in the game. What was that like? Well, I, you know, Dan got hurt in the fifth game 
in 16 game ski season then we went to four playoffs games so by the time we got to the playoffs you know i'd been the backup for you know quite some time a number of months and so i i was used to that i, I it was fine but if you had at it but if that had happened like real late or in the playoffs yeah you're exactly right that would have been a very nerve-wracking proposition but i had had a couple months you know to, to kind of get used to that you know role for the raiders you win the game uh, 27 to 10 now you got a Super Bowl ring after one year. And then in 83, you're marching along as the starter, get banged up, Plunkett comes in for you, and you go win another Super Bowl. Yeah, I I, uh, I became the starter. I broke my shoulder against, uh, against the New Orleans Saints, and I was gone for the rest of the season. They activated me in the playoffs. Because, and this is, you know again, a funny backstory, because I had been the holder for Chris Barr. And when I was out for you know, that all that extended period of time with the broken shoulder, Ray Guy was the holder. And Chris, when we got in the playoffs, Chris Barr went to the coaches and said, okay, I don't know what it's going to take to activate Mark, but I'm not going in the playoffs with Ray Guy as the holder. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I couldn't even raise my left arm above my head. So the deal with the snapper was, <laughs> listen, you can roll it back there, but you can't snap it more than about a foot off the ground because he won't catch it. <laughs> wow. and we didn't have we didn't have one problem in the playoffs, but it was it was a little dicey. That is a great and hey, perhaps and I, I don't know if there's much argument. The greatest punter in the history of the game, obviously not the best holder not the best in holder. the history of the and game. And that got you on the field for the Super Bowl. Yeah, it did. And, but you're you're right, Ray. What Ray was unbelievable punter. And to tell you how fun it was to, to be around Ray and watch him punt was my dad would come down to California or wherever we were, in L.A. or Oakland. He'd come down once a year. He'd take a week off work and he'd come down when we had games on the Sundays, you know, back to back. So he could see two games and watch practice all week. And he'd come to practice and he would watch Ray punt. He wouldn't watch his son playing quarterback. He it, he watched Ray because it was a it was a spectacle. I mean, when you would watch him and he would do it over and over and you watch Ray guy punt one ball and, and you've just never seen anything like it before. And you can't believe it the first couple of times you see it. You know? It's mesmerizing, right? Oh, it is. It was truly incredible. Ray was an amazing, amazing athlete. And Ray could throw it about 85 yards himself. Oh, I my mean, Ray was a great athlete. So you trot out onto the field in the Super Bowl. And you're playing the Redskins, the Commanders now, and uh, you're down there on a knee. You, you know if there's no fake field goal or extra point going on here because you can't raise your shoulder. But you're in the Super Bowl waiting for a yeah. snap. How cool is that? Oh, it was so cool. And I was tempted to call an audible to pass it so I could throw at least one pass <laughs> in the Super Bowl. But the game was out of hand. I, thought, I didn't think that'd go over very well. <laughs> Probably not. Somebody would have got after you. But uh, that's just that's awesome. Hey, we watched you throw a pass to, to Todd Christensen. Yeah, there's a couple in that highlight ago. reel where you, where you had a couple of completions to Todd, our good friend. And, and the outlaw bandit writes in, hey, Mark, uh, what are your fond memories of playing with uh, Todd um, who played with the Raiders uh, while, while you were there. Yeah, that was really, really something. to Because when I got to the Raiders, I wasn't sure. I, I, I didn't even know that Todd was there. And so having him there, you know, was, was such a wonderful thing for me, having a guy that I was familiar with, that we played with, that we came from the same school, we had the same background. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was fantastic having Todd there. And it was interesting because when, when Todd first started, 
you know, they wanted to, they wanted to move him to tight end. They wanted to move him to tight end before he got to the Raiders. He didn't want to do that. When he finally got to the Raiders, it was, it was kind of time to say, okay, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. And if you want to move your tight end, go ahead. But Todd was behind, you know, Raymond Chester, mm-hmm. Dave Casper, uh, Derek Ramsey. These guys were great players in their own right. And Todd was like fourth on the, on the totem pole and had never played. And the thing that it's funny how this all works, but the thing that got their attention was I was the backup quarterback and Todd was the fourth string tight end, which meant that on the defensive day, I got all the snaps because I was running the other team's offense. And Todd got to play a lot too, because he, you know, he wasn't the starter. He wasn't the tight the, the, the top of the rotation, the tight end group. And so when we played the chargers, Todd and I would just light up the defense like you can't believe because Todd was playing Kellen Winslow and I was playing Dan Fouts. And it was <laughs> and so when we played the Chargers twice a year, we I'd come to practice and Todd and I would both be looking and smiling at each other, saying, Okay, today's our day and nice. we're gonna get them today. And that got that opened a lot of eyes, you know, with what 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 Todd could do. And so when Todd finally got his chance, I think it was against Miami, my second year. Todd caught a couple touchdown passes against Miami in that game, and that well, that was kind of it. He was off the races. I, I have such fond memories of Todd because he and I worked in broadcasting together for a number of years. We would, you know, would fly into the airport, fly into Denver, and drive to Laramie, Wyoming together. And, man, if you want an interesting three-hour conversation, you get in a car just you, and you don't need to turn the radio on. You just talk <laughs> to Todd, and he's just full of information. Um, but the thing I remember, I, and I, I think I'm getting this right, one year, Todd didn't just lead tight ends in the NFL in receiving. He led the National Football League in receiving as a well, tight end. Almost. It came down to one game. It was a Monday night game. It was the last game of the year, and we played the Rams. And mm-hmm. we played in the Anaheim Stadium. And we knew going into that game that Todd needed, I think it was nine catches, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, because all the other teams had played. Mm-hmm. So we were the last, the last game of the year before we got to the playoffs. It just so happened that Marcus was also kind of up to to be to lead the league in rushing. Oh. So it was kind of a weird yeah. situation because we had a running back that we wanted to get yards so that he'd lead the nation or lead the league in rushing. And we also had Todd where he needed, you know, a few a, a number of catches to lead the league in receptions, and we didn't quite get there. Did you get Marcus Allen there though? Did Marcus, Marcus get it? Marcus Marcus got there? So Marcus led there. the league in, in, in rushing. I think he was the uh, MVP that year. Um, but Todd didn't quite lead the league in, in uh, reception, but for a tight end, certainly led all the tight ends and just had a great year. Just a few more questions for Mark Wilson, who's been great to spend so much time with us tonight on the Wise Guys. In your 10 seasons in the NFL, played for the Raiders and Patriots, you finished with 14,391 passing yards, 86 touchdowns, and five touchdown runs. If you could do it all over again, going back to Pop Warner even before Shorecrest High School, what skill would you work on the hardest? Oh, that's a great question. I've never really thought of that, you know, that way. I mean, my era of guys, we all, we, we didn't, we didn't specialize in one sport. We, we played all the sports. Yeah. So I played uh, football during football, obviously basketball and baseball. And, and I'm glad I did because if I had to had, if you had, had made me pick one sport at, at those years, I don't know what I would have done, but I, I'll tell you, it wouldn't have lasted very long because I would have gotten bored and probably wouldn't want to continue. Yeah. So that was a great thing for me. And, I, you know, looking back, I think that was actually the right approach. I think it's even the right approach today. Play everything. Because, 
yeah, to, to play everything because every every sport's going to require a little bit different out of you, and that's just going to make you a better athlete, a bit more rounded player. Um, but as a quarterback, you know, I think, uh, but again, it was a different era. It was entirely different. You know, we didn't have game films to watch. We didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> in fact, uh, I thought I knew a lot about offense in high school because uh, my strategy was drop back and throw it to my buddy who was the receiver. <laughs> that was my strategy. <laughs> nice. There was no reading defense. It was finding my buddy and throw it to him. So when I got in college, there was a lot to learn. So looking, going back, you know, assuming there was somebody that could kind of show me what to do and go and how to go about it, I would have probably spent a lot more time kind of studying what the game was all about and why you did what you did. Yep, that's great. That's and you know these guys now, that's a big difference maker. I, I can tell you that they Jared, go off the sideline. Yeah, they get a laptop, yeah, they, they get a laptop yeah. and they show them the four. Like it, it kills me that they get immediate feedback when they go over there and they show them what the defense, the set, the pre-snap read was, and what they did. It's amazing. So, yeah. and that that's that's the information that Jaron Hall has with him. Um, I, I know you follow the Cougs. Jaron Hall's got a big season ahead of him coming up. Big big expectations. Um, what do you like about his style of play? Oh, I love the way he plays. You know, he's, he's such a great athlete. He can run, he can, he, and you know, running is, I think it's, it's not overrated, but the reason why it's so important is because there are a number of plays that are going to happen during that game where really there's no chance in the passing game. And so you can either throw it out of bounds or you hopefully if you can run a little bit, you can make something happen out of a situation where there's really no chance for success. And, you know, you're going to get a handful of those plays every game. No matter how good you are on offense, it's just going to happen where the defense has got it right. They've got it dialed in right. And there's really, you don't really have a chance to succeed. So if you can buy yourself some time and, you know, improvise a little bit, what a, what a great, you know, thing that is for the offense. And that's what that guy can do in, in spades. He's great at buying himself some time. If he has to run, he's great at running. He can throw it on the run. He can make things happen when there's really nothing that's going to happen unless he just, you know, lights up things with his athletic ability. Cougars report to camp tomorrow. Do you remember your first day checking in in August of 1975? Yeah, I was scared to death. <laughs> that seems to be the running thing. <laughs> I was scared to death. The other funny thing was I had never thrown a leather football. What? Yeah, growing up in Seattle, you think we threw leather football? Oh, it rains too much. They they do a yeah, rubber yeah, baseball. Rubber balls yeah. over there. They were all rubber balls. <laughs> so, I mean, I hated the feel of these leather footballs. Just trying to get used to that was enough, you know, not not to mention the fact that we had this offense that I had to had to learn and I mean, yeah, it was it was nerve-wracking. It, it really was. So you 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 come in, you're highly touted. Uh you show up, you say I'm Mark Wilson. Um you get your bag. How did you get number 6? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I do remember that because I wasn't number six as a freshman. I wasn't number six as a redshirt. I didn't be get numbers. No, I did get number six as a, as a freshman. Uh, no, as a redshirt. Cause this is what happened as a freshman. I, I didn't suit up for any games, not one. And I, you know, I wasn't on the depth chart, so that didn't matter if they yeah. let me suit up. It was just as a gift to let me stand on the sideline with the uniform on. Right. So, and I, to be honest, I hated, going to the games and sitting in the stands. So my friend, Niels Tidwell, who was an offensive guard from oh, I uh, love Boise, Niels. we, we never stayed around. We, we, we drove up to his place and went pheasant hunting. I could not stand <laughs> to sit there in the stadium and watch these, watch these games. So my red shirt year, one, one game, they let me suit up and I go to get my uniform and it's number six. And I'd never been number six before ever. So I went to Floyd and I said, Floyd, what's with this number six? 
And he said, well, you're from Seattle, right? I said, yeah. I said, there was a great quarterback that played for the Huskies. Do you remember a guy named Sonny Six Killer? I said, <laughs> yeah. He was like our hero growing up as kids. He said, well, then you're from Seattle. You got to wear number six. That's awesome. So, so Floyd gave you the number and Floyd the reason gave behind me the it. number. And I, and I have worn number six ever since. Well, now your number six is hanging up uh, uh, at the Val Edwards Stadium with your name next to it, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a great honor. Yeah. Great, great honor. All right, we got five questions for you. you yeah, we, we do this. We do this for everybody because we had a guest on that's Scott that, that, Warner, Scott Warner, social that, media guru. Yeah, it, and he said everybody. I, when you meet people, you need to know these things about him. You got to ask him these these things. Go ahead, you so, fired up. Yeah, so these five questions from Mark Wilson. These aren't meant to take a lot of thought either. No, even though this, this is first a, thing that comes to your mind. Favorite oh, movie? Uh, Rocky. Oh, I love it. Hey, how did you like uh, Rocky Balboa, the very last one? It was different, but I liked it. I thought know, they tied that together. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, good. It was okay. fun. Okay, good. favorite band. Oh, uh, favorite band. Oh, I'm not a I'm not a big band guy. Um, it could be average individual. white. Here you go, average white band. Oh, I love it. A W B. Average white band. See, see now, Mark is like he's he's That's coming from my. I'm always telling Dave I like hip hop and stuff, and he just wants to listen to ACDC, and we just can't get along on music. So, so do you remember? Do you remember the cover for Average White Band that was kind of a guy with the uh, you know looked like a bum on yeah, the average? Yeah, the W was the bum. Yeah, the W. <laughs> so my mom took a sticky tab and stuck it over that. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. Average White Band That's for awesome. Mark. Okay, favorite cereal. Cereal, uh, I'll take Wheaties. Yeah, I like Wheaties. There you go. That's another old school right yep, there, Wheaties. Wheaties. Dave said Captain Crunch without the Crunch Berries, which I have no comprehension of that. <laughs> so, favorite fast food? Hamburger. Oh, oh fa I, favorite fast food hamburger. Like, what's your favorite place to get a fast food hamburger? Oh, I like, you know, I like uh, that JCW guacamole burger. Oh, I'm, yeah, I like that. I, I try to tell my kids there's nothing wrong with McDonald's, but they're not with me on that one. For some reason, McDonald's is out of fashion with young guys. So, um, favorite BYU quarterback, not named Mark Wilson. Um, geez, that's tough because I love all those guys. But you know what? I think I'm going to go with Robbie Bosco. Really? How come? I thought Robbie Bosco was so great in college. I loved watching him. In fact, uh, another funny story, Todd, uh, Todd and I are on a plane. We're flying back with the Raiders. We're going to play the Giants back in New York, and we're watching. And we have these mobile televisions, which nobody had at the time, but we had them on the plane. And BYU's getting killed. And Robbie brought him back and, and won the game, and that was that was just so fun. But I, I I've always loved Robbie as a person, but I thought he was a great quarterback, and I thought it was just so unfortunate what happened in his pro career. He hurt him; he's hurt his shoulder, like yeah. I think at the bowl game, mm -hmm. and like Gary Shidey, never really was the same, and it and it cost him his pro career. Yeah, it, it went so. So Rob and I were roommates as freshmen, and we're dear dear friends. Um, the problem for him was that that went undiagnosed for too long. And so because he didn't get it fixed right away, it never really healed up. I, I always say this, Mark, like Robbie reminded me of you. He reminds me of all the quarterbacks that played the great ones, reminded me the most of you. And for this reason, I felt like the two of you had the best deep touch of, of, the, of the quarterbacks. Each, each guy had their skill set, right? And I'm just like, man, Mark throws this just beautiful deep ball. Then when Robbie was in his prime, I'm like, man, Robbie reminds me of Mark. Like his deep throws where you got a defender underneath and, and it's just right over the defender's hand and just drop it in there on that deep post. You and Robbie were like elite, elite, otherworldly on those throws. And, and I always thought Robbie reminded me of you. So I love that he's your favorite quarterback. 
Thank you. Hey, now that you're back in Utah, uh, are you going to come get be a guest on our countdown to kickoff and do some of that uh, stuff? Oh, I'd love to. You just got to invite me. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. Okay. Well, the, the, that invitation's coming, so we just yeah, want to make nah, sure you're so, game. So happy, so happy to have you here. And, and, and you should know that my youngest brother of 10, I've got five sisters and four brothers, right. so there's 10 of us. Uh, his name's Mark, M-A-R-C, because you played football at BYU. Wow, that's 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 great. That's that's fantastic. Well, let me can I just say one more thing? And that is, you know, we taught we started this talking about Gary Shidey. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I love Gary. And I honestly believe this if it were not for Gary. Well, it started with Lavelle. Lavelle had to have this vision of the passing game, had to go find Gary or a guy like Gary and fortunately found Gary. But if it wasn't for Gary, I don't know that we'd be talking. It all came, comes back to Gary. You and know, I just we, don't we, want people. I just don't want people to lose sight yeah. of that or forget about that because that's we, such a huge part of our history. He 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 has spent a lot of time with us because he's worked a lot of television with us, and I mean he's an amazing baseball analyst. He and just Gary knows so much about baseball. He but, was live on this show about yeah, a month he, ago he from his fishing outfit in <laughs> yes. Minnesota, showing us these <laughs> giant fish he caught. We couldn't tell if they were photoshopped or not, but we had some fishing stories with Shady, and we told him. Uh, and, and he obviously, I wrote that article about him, and you, you had a big part in that. And he was very touched that uh, yep. you thought of he, he, him so highly. He thinks the world of you, and, and we do too, and we think the world of him. Well, thank you, guys, and thank you for having me. This has been so fun to kind of reminisce and tell some old stories. Hey, we, thanks this, for the time. Th- this is a format, uh, Mark, that you know we just we just thought we need to do this type of thing, a live stream that they can they can repost as a podcast. Because the TV that Dave and I do, it's sound bites. You know, it's two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. We never get to just sit down and have three guys just reminisce and talk football. So we have so much fun with this. We're so glad that you would come on and spend this much time with and us. And we learned a lot of things Yeah, tonight. you gave us some great, great <laughs> stories. I loved it. Thanks we, so much, Mark. We hope to have you back on, too. So uh, this is uh, we want you to have a regular spot with us. Uh, and we're glad that you're back in Utah County. And... Uh, making the most of your master's, uh, your MBA from Washington and your college degree in economics at BYU still still rolling along. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, guys. been a lot of fun. Mark Wilson, one of the greats at BYU. That was, we got to call Max and tell him that Mark's interview was so much better than his. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's absolute. How do we back? We back up Max and we come back with Mark and then oh. Robbie Bosco is going to be with us. So good. Um, in two weeks, and uh, yeah, Rob's gonna. I mean, Robbie, I learned a lot. Oh, th- I didn't so know he was ready to the, walk. I didn't either. The whole time, you know, we've learned so many stories over time. Like we didn't know that Tyler Algier was going to quit, or or that uh, Peyton Wilgar was done. Had left, but but and we we've learned those in recent years. But I had no idea that Mark and a bunch of the team was ready to be out. And Lavelle recognized that and said, "No, going to change things. Doug's coming back." And, uh, and I had forgotten that Doug left and went. And then, and of course, Doug was there through that 1980 season. Doug was part of recruiting me along with, with Big Fred Whittingham. Those were the two that recruited yeah. me. And then right before I came, Doug left to go back. Well, Doug left to go be the coach at San Diego State um, and to be a head coach in yeah. college football. Um, but uh, what, what a great story. I had no idea. He had a bunch of stories I had never heard. I, I don't think that Mark's know. told anyplace else before. No, and I also didn't know that um, he was on the field of the Super Bowl holding for kicks. Yes. I thought yeah. he was out. Who knew? And so he's got his ring and he earned it. And, and who knew that he was on the field because 
the kicker bar <laughs> was not gonna said i will not have ray guy the greatest punter <laughs> in the history of the game hold for me another game that's awesome that was such a great story mark D- is such a good man dj can we put up that uh, after further review post we're going to remind you next week on after further review we're going to start breaking down the personnel player by player for this year's team including a uh, defensive backs malik moore caleb hayes D'Angelo Mandel. I love this graphic, Malik Magic. Remember some of the plays he made against oh, Utah State? Great range. Malik Moore, if he's in the back end, and he can cover a lot of ground. Cade Fennigan we're going to look at. That's Tuesday, August 9th, 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain on the BYU TV app for after further review. And you can also watch tonight's show and last week's special on Tyler Algier on the free BYU TV app. And then after next week's show, we come on here with Wise Guys, and we got Dennis Pitta and basketball coach Mark Pope. That's, yeah. that's how, three glorious how hours. That? How fun is that going to be? That's going to be so, sweet. And by the way, when Robbie comes on, he's going to come in studio with us. He can come hang with us. Yeah, and he's uh, and he's friends with Marie Osmond. They're, yep. He's coming together. They're, coming, they're both coming in we studio. We might just sit him down and let him uh, interview each other. Yeah, that, that would, that that would be, be really fun. Hey, and by the way, it, it's the outlaw bandit that I couldn't read and a while ago, but we were in the middle of the interview with Mark, and he asked if this color is better. And then he went from a light blue to whatever color that is. But I... Outlaw band, I can see it now. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate it. I could not see that yeah, dark, Blaine's whatever color it was. Blind and that's, that but, makes it but trouble. whatever color this is, I don't know if that's green or if it's brown or if it's beige, but that I can see, and now I know who you are. So <laughs> I appreciate you making that change for me, brother. Hey, a couple of things before we get to John Swift, the uh, chief of staff for Kalani Sataki. We've got a loaded show. Um, Jaron Hall was named yes. to the Walter Camp Player of the Year watch list. He threw for over 2,500 yards and 20 touchdowns last season, despite missing three games due to an injury. He's also on the watch list for the Davey O'Brien Award, the Maxwell Award. No former Cougar has won the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award. Not even Ty Demmer. Yeah, that's the one That's the one missing um, I'm from the big awards. Ty got the Heisman, the Maxwell Award, the Davey O'Brien oh, we got Award da- We have Davey O'Brien Awards coming out of our ears. Sammy Baugh, right, which right. Mark Wilson won, Ty won. And then Ty was the UPI Player of the Year. But um, we're still searching for the first Walter Camp. And uh, in that camp is Jaron Hall. What are, what are your three keys to Hall having a really good season? Well, the, the first key is an interesting one um, that everybody knows. He's got to stay healthy. And uh, we mentioned, I mentioned the NAFR. I want to see him run the ball around, but I want him to get down when he gets into a crowd. I want him to get out of bounds when he has an opportunity. So, so the first thing is he's got to stay healthy because you can't contribute if you're not out on the field. And he missed some games last season. I want to see, see him play a full slate. Um, get the ball out on time is my number two key. So um, we always say get the ball out on time to the right spot uh, uh, and to the right person, right? So meaning, hey, if the defender's on the left side, you get it to the guy that you're supposed to get it to, you throw it on the right side. But the ball's got to come out on time. So to me, that's the most important thing in young quarterbacks. Okay. When Jaron was young, he'd hold the ball a little bit. And then and last year, I saw him make great progress. And you held the ball a little bit. Everybody Remember, when they were young does, held the right? ball, right? The smart guys but the, get well, out. The more experience you get, the more confident you are with the reads, and the quicker you get the ball out. And so I say get the ball out on time to the right guy, and then trust your playmakers. Because as we watched all of those touchdowns from last year and realized a lot of those guys are back, I'm talking about the Puka Nakua's and Gunner Romney. He's got, 
He's got proven playmakers. You get one-on-one -on -one with Puka, let it fly. Let him go make a play. You got to be confident in those guys and let him go make plays for you. And then who's going to who's gonna emerge? Like Isaac Rex two years ago was a big-time playmaker when they got down in the end zone. Um, I think maybe he emerges. Dallin Holker could have a big year. Who else? Is it going to be Keanu Hill? Yeah. Is it going to be? Who is it going to be that's going to step up there and be like Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney and be a big-time playmaker? But But that's it. Stay healthy, get the ball out on time, trust and your trust player. your playmakers. Those right. are the three things. We're going to follow those throughout the okay. season and uh, and see how they hold up. Uh, Linda Murray with a question for us about AFR. I've wondered how you make sure breaking down plays doesn't tip off future opponents. Now, there are no secrets in college football. Yeah, they, everybody we watches everybody else. Yeah. But we might explain why a play worked and why it didn't. a play didn't work. But I assure you, Linda, that the other team is going over that like crazy. Yeah, they, do you think we're tipping them off sometimes? Here's the thing. Unless you do something that's completely unique, which you put a few plays in or wrinkles here and there, um, you're not doing anything that they don't. You just have to execute it better than the other team. You know pretty much what they're going to do. Teams know now, BYU, when they play what I call error raid teams where they just run the spread and throw it all over, like USC or like Texas Tech, the BYU is going to give them a steady diet of drop eight. So you know they're going to do it. It still doesn't help you beat it right. if their players execute it perfectly, right? And then yeah. you surprise them every once in a while with a blitz. Um, you, you you look at their tendencies. Oh, man, they they know um, what the other team's tendencies are going in. And the, and the way you surprise people is you get away from your tendencies. And You, you self-scout and you do things yeah. differently. And what we want, Linda, Linda, what we want you to know is to understand why the play worked or why it didn't. Who made the block, who didn't make the block, who made the throw, who made the catch, and then... Yeah. And then we all learned my, football again. My, my mom, who always would watch our show, she just passed away about this last year. She always used to say, hey, here's what I want from the show. I want to watch the show, and I want to be able to understand football better so that when I'm watching the game the next Saturday, I can go, oh, that's what the guys were talking about. He should have done this. That's what we're trying to accomplish with that show. We want everybody to feel like they know the game just a little bit better so that when we watch the game on Saturday, they can enjoy it more and they can have things to look for. That's the whole po point of that show. And we're in our 10th season. Yes, we are. It was crazy. With the Cougars reporting into fall camp, it's a busy time for the support staff and the man who oversees all of it is John Swift. He's been at BYU since 2018, was elevated to Kalani Sataki's chief of staff after the Cougars got serious and joined the Big 12. And he joins us tonight here on The Wise Guys. And, John, we, we just had this awesome interview with Mark Wilson. Uh, how much fun is it to spend so much time with these quality student athletes? I don't know that there's any better job in the world, to be honest. I mean, these guys are great. They, they, they keep us young. They keep us fresh. They keep us on our toes. Um, but they're a blast to be around, honestly. And they're just genuinely good kids. And John, you get to interact with a lot of former players as well. Guys like Mark Wilson, when they when they come back, I know that you're you're a big part of every aspect of what's going on as the chief of staff. What's that like to be able to rub shoulders with the Steve Youngs and the Mark Wilsons and the Jim McMahons and and many many more that were, were phenomenal representatives of BYU that went and played in the National Football League? I mean, it's an incredible thing. I think you know BYU obviously has a, a storied program that has a lot of big names that have come through its ranks and current guys in the NFL. And to have those guys feel like they're still a part of it, um, you know, I think we saw a big push this past year during spring ball of Kalani reaching out to the alumni through the alumni game and otherwise, and just saying like, "Look, we need you guys. You're as much a part of the program now as it's ever been, and we love all you guys and want you to still come around." And 
you know, having having worked with the team as a student manager, you know, I built relationships with guys like David Nixon and Brian Keel and Kyle Van Noy and yeah. um, Max Hall and Dennis Pitta and Austin Colley, all those guys who were here before. That was kind of my time being a student. So I got to know all those guys. And so to be in a different capacity now and still working with the program, it's nice to see those guys still come around, still excited about BYU football and wanting to contribute in, in a new way themselves. John Swift is the chief of staff for Kalani Sataki here on The Wise Guys tonight. It's quiet where you are. You look rested. Is this the calm before the storm? You ready for tomorrow? It's the calm before the storm. We're ready. It's, it's you know, the, the beehive was buzzing um, early, but the goal is that, you know, when it's a few days before or even through the month of July that most of the plans are made and that all we have to do now is execute and, and roll into the season and enjoy it. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but uh, there's a lot of moving parts that, um, I'm lucky to have a great team and um, to have Kalani's full faith in all of us to handle operations and to make sure things go, uh, hopefully, without a hitch. So when, when everything starts tomorrow, how many players will report? We'll have 110 guys that will report. So 110. And when, when they walk onto campus into that student-athlete building, what, what's the process tomorrow? What are they going through tomorrow? So Puka Nakua walks in. What's Puka got in store for him tomorrow? Well, the first thing is we got to make sure that these guys understand that, you know, we're going to take care of their nutritional needs. You know, if we got to keep their interest, we got to make sure they know we're going to feed them. So that's how the day will always start through camp is some food. You Wise know, choice. No, nobody wants a hungry player. Nothing goes well that way. Um, so Kalani, we by the way, Kalani is not good when he's hungry either. So you're doing the right no, thing. He's, he's a different guy. He turns into, I, I call him scary Kalani when he's hungry. So... Yeah, and he'll admittedly say so. I, yeah. It's funny. I think we're all like that to a degree. But <laughs> So they'll start the day with some food. And then, uh, you know, we have a unique thing here um, where we built a partnership with um, Carl Sokia. And he does an incredible thing um, with a motivational assessment that we feel as part of our program has is, is really helped our players to figure out who they are and what kind of career path they want to be on. So we go into to doing some things like that to do a little workshop and helping the players understand their own motivations and how that can drive them as a player and as a student. Um, and then into the future as, you know, a, a career working man um, or an NFL player. Um, and then we'll, we'll after that go into more lunch and food and then uh, we'll start doing gear distributions and uh, iPad distributions so they can watch film and, then we'll go into the, the most dreaded meeting, I think, for all of the players on report day. And that's the one where we just go down the long laundry list of uh, checking off the boxes of things they've got to know. And, and the meeting of, hey, here's all the people who need to give their their spiel for the year so that we can cover our bases and make sure that all the players are informed. Um, it's a lot of information, but it's, it's something we've got to do every year just to make sure that we're checking the boxes of you know, financial aid, of training, of nutrition, of uh, compliance of uh, a whole laundry list of, of items that it's helpful for especially the new guys to know and for the vets to, to hear again and be reminded of. Let's go back to the gear distribution. Uh, Nike's the provider. Uh, when did you order the jerseys, pants, pads, and cleats, and how does a guy get his number assigned? Yeah, so, so generally, um, you know, we, we've ordered stuff the year before. And so, you know, stuff was ordered actually before the turnover even happened, um, you know, when Billy Nixon moved into the director of football operations right. role, he had already done the order for the following year. So that's that cake was already baked. So Josh will be working now to order for for the following year this year. Um, so so that's what's already happened. The real waiting game and the real headache comes with when is it going to come in? And ever since COVID, that's been the real nightmare oh, yeah. of, you know, when are we going to receive all the stuff? 
Um, you know, we pride ourselves on taking care of the boys in terms of the gear, and that's um, an important thing um, from Kalani's perspective of making sure that they're feeling the love that way, that they can rep the Y, rep Nike. And so we try and get a ton of gear for the guys and spread that out throughout camp and then throughout the season. Um, but it's always a head scratcher as to, okay, when is the stuff actually going to show up? And that includes jerseys and game pants and all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, when you're talking about trying to plan for games and what uniform you're going to wear, uh, there's always a little fear when you're, when you're wondering if stuff's going to show up on time. So if Blaine walks in and wants number 16 again. Can I have it? Can he have it? Or is there a fight for it? How, who gets number 16? You know, that's a good question. Um, it, it's been done different ways in the past, but we've found that the best way to do that is to take care of the vets first and uh, to do it by seniority um, and, and let it trickle down from there. Um, we really don't run into too many issues. Um, the, the bigger area we run into issues when you have guys who need to be on the field at the same time on like special teams depth um, and trying to figure out, okay, well, if we've got an offensive and a defensive guy who are both on the spe same special team, um, they can't both be wearing the number two. Right. Um, so we're going to have to tell the one that he's got to switch. And, and generally the players are okay with it. Um, sometimes we try and get creative and throw a different, you know, over the top jersey on them or a different number and let them switch out real quick, but that can get complicated too. So we really, it, it boils down to, you know, veterans get first choice and we've put it in the hands now. So Kalani doesn't have to worry about as much of our equipment manager. And so Josh will, be the one who gets to take on that lovely task of working through that with the players and he gets to mediate <laughs> it's yeah. funny because we asked mark how he got his number mark wilson john and he he said brother jay so floyd johnson the old equipment manager that we we all know of his history brother johnson just said here's your number you have six and this is why i'm giving it to you and mark was just like oh okay that makes sense and he gave it to him because a, a quarterback from the university of washington by where mark grew up was his last name, his nickname was Six Shooter. And he wore number and six. he wore number six. And so Mark's like, okay, cool. Now, Brother Jay was asking me, do you want this number or do you want that number, Brother Johnson? And Jim McMahon was standing right next to me. And I'm like, I, I wore 14 in high school. And they were like, well, 14, that's a veteran. You can't have 14. And Jimmy Matt goes, before I wore nine, I wore 16. You should wear 16. I'm like, I'll take 16. That was it. You followed yep. Jimmy Mack. So when Jimmy Mack tells you you should take 16, <laughs> you take 16. And that's the number Jim wore as a sophomore, he told me. Yeah, and I'm like, that was. okay, if it was good enough for Jimmy, I'll take it. So that's how I got my number. And then my boys wore that number as well at BYU. Yeah, yeah so. that's a great that's, story. That's a solid quarterback number. I like that number. It's a good one. <laughs> hey, so over the next couple of days, what do the guys go through before they actually get to practice? Once they get through uh, the meetings tomorrow, know, really what, what happens? Yeah, so really tomorrow's the main day that they do anything other than actually jumping into things. And that's really the day of, of meetings and, and getting caught up to speed on any information that we have, getting gear and just reporting and then getting their initial kind of three square meals to get ready for camp. Um, and then come Thursday, we, we hit the ground running. I mean, it's practice day one, it's meetings, it's walkthroughs. Um, and obviously the first practice, we can only go helmets only. So it'll be, you know, not, not as uh, physical as maybe you might expect otherwise, but it's good to kind of grease the wheels and get things rolling. Yeah. Um, but just a lot of logistical stuff tomorrow that happens, not, not really any physical things that happen. And um, that's by design, um, but they get, they get tired in, in a different way tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get mentally exhausted and it's different than, than the olden days. In fact, not that far in the past, it used to be camp was just a series of two-a-days, but that's that's not how it is anymore, right? John, it's mandated by the NCAA. Explain how that works. How many practices can you have in a day and in a week? Yeah, so 
the, the way that it works out is you can start your official first day of practice 29 days before your first competition. Now for us, we get a day added to that so we can actually count back 30 because we don't practice on Sundays. Um, and because that's a full day off for us, we get that ability to make up a day in that regard. And so, and then you can practice, you know, within that calendar period of time up until your competition, um, pretty much as needed, but you get one practice a day and then you get a walkthrough a day as well, if you want to use that, but you have to have three hours in between the practice and the walkthrough. So between those on-field activities, um, just trying to protect the boys and keep them out of the heat or, you know, keep from the old days, like you say, I mean, when I was a student, I remember we did two a day practices and it was, it was like true groundhogs day. I mean, it's one thing to go through camp and have a very similar schedule every day, but it's another thing to do that same schedule two times a day all through camp. Um, so it's still a grind, but it's, it's a little bit better. And we do a few things to try and get the boys rest uh, in different ways, you know, do some regen on Wednesdays as opposed to a full day of practice and Sundays are off and, you know, Saturdays are typically scrimmage days or half days where we just go the first half. So we try and find ways to keep in mind that these guys are going to get worn out and still balance being prepared for our first competition um, by utilizing as many of the days as possible throughout that 30 day span. John Swift is the chief of staff for Kalani Sataki. Part of your job is to help develop culture and chemistry with the team. That's a tough job when it doesn't work. The season doesn't work. And when it does work, like you've experienced the last couple of years, uh, everybody's having a good time and, and you win a lot of games. So all these guys show up 110 tomorrow. What will you be looking for to read the room to see what you need to work on chemistry-wise to bring the team together? You know, that I, I rely on Kalani heavily for that. I mean, this is his program, and I don't think there's anyone better to lead a program personally i mean he's so natural in his ability to connect with people especially his players his staff and everybody and find those buzzwords and those things to focus on those areas of emphasis that can make a difference and that will be a competitive advantage and that's something that he and i talk about in detail um daily really of what should i talk about with the team today um and he'll just say things that are on his mind you know and and he even his wife will give him um, insights of hers and, and he leans on her heavily. And, you know, he, he does really good of listening to people around him and finding things that he feels the team will benefit from. And so, you know, it's not me coming up with these ideas. It's not me necessarily reading the room unless there's glaring things. It's me, uh, you know, piggybacking off of Kalani and then doing what he needs in order to facilitate. Here's how he wants to grow the program. Here's, here's what he wants to focus on through this year, as well as reiterating, you know, some of the phrases like are behind me, um, you know, some of the, some of the values and mission and, and things like that of the program that he's already established that we really want the players to become familiar with and make a part of who they are and how they live. So when you have activities that are, are, are planned, are those things that you plan way ahead of time or does Kalani say, Hey, I think this day, I, I feel like the guys need a break. Let's do something. And then you kind of plan them spur of the moment. Or do you have certain days that you already have laid out during fall camp where you go, we're going to take a break on this day and this is what we're going to do. We're going to take gonna a break on this day. We're going to float down the river. Yeah, we're going to float the river and, yeah. th and this is the day we're going to do it. Or does some of that go by feel and you decide when they need it? Yeah, there's a mix of both. Um, you know, th this year we'll have to see if we adjust the schedule, but so far every year there's been some adjustment to the schedule um, in the sense that you plan the whole thing out, you send it out, and then, you know, after the first week, it's like, look, these guys are getting too tired. We need to adjust either 
the, the schedule of the whole day or we need to look at building in another day where we'll tell them they're going to show up, but we're going to go do this new activity and then you set it up kind of last minute. But for the most part, the whole schedule is built as early as May, um, kind of finalized through there. Um, just so that, I mean, you're talking 175 people that you're worrying about food for. Um, when you got activities, you're talking closer to around 150 because there's some fallout there of, you know, either staff or others who don't join along for some of those. But I mean, you're talking big numbers of people. And so if you don't plan in advance, you'll miss out on the opportunity to do a lot of it. Um, but that's another one of those things where we really try and get the players buy in and um, we try and get the players feedback on that. And so we'll survey, you know, a leadership council of guys and be like, what do you guys like to do? Because um, we we want, like you guys say, I mean, you need those times when you can cut out and just kind of break away from the normal routine and just relax and have a good time. And so, you know, we found things in the past that we've done that have been a good time. Floating down the river seems to be a staple. Um, going to Top Golf, the guys always love just yeah. cutting loose and doing that. Movies as a team are a really good time. We've paintballed as a team before. Um, that's a really good time getting in there, seeing the coaches go against the guys, you know, doing some paintballing. Um, and so we really try and mix it up. We've bowled over at fat cats and done that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's fun and no matter what it is, these guys love to compete. They love to have fun and just goof around. So it, it's fun to see them in that element. Best, best movie you guys have ever seen as a team. Oh man, that's, that's a tough one that you really put me on the spot with that one. Um, <laughs> Seems I would have to think about that one a little longer. Hey, we're going to give you we'll give you a chance later on that. One. I, I, did you ever do remember the Titans as a whole team? So we so far, at least in my time being here, we have not actually put on movies that are not new releases. So you you okay. actually take them to the movies and do yep, a current movie. Yep. We take them to the movies and do new movies. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Hey, in your previous position as director of football ops, you oversaw the locker room renovation on campus, and Blaine and I have both been inside there. It's fantastic. What are your plans for the locker room over at the stadium? Right now, we're talking through all of that. Um, we don't have any plans set in stone right now, but they're things that we know, you know, as we move into the Big 12, we need to consider. And, you know, those are things that, that Tom is well aware of and, and that are being discussed now. But right now, there's, there's no plans set in stone to, to do anything other than just, you know, <laughs> take advantage of, of the good backdrop that we have and uh, hopefully win games in that stadium and, and bring the energy that way. You know, announcing uh, uniform color schemes for games last year, that was a big social media hit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people were loving it, um, and that's kind of become an expectation for fans. So you probably saw Notre Dame. They made a bunch of noise this last week. That's like a full-on Hollywood production to reveal their <laughs> white jerseys with with the gold helmets for that October game in Vegas. Um, do you guys have any plans to counter their approach? Are you going to try to top them on how we make the announcement for that game? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know uh, how you top, um, you know, basically recreating a, a Hollywood movie, uh, you know, in the place that it was filmed. It was uh, next level, that's know, for sure. It was big time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was big time and it was fun. And, you know, we all got a kick out of it. We were all watching it you know, around the offices and scratching our heads about it a little bit and wondering, well, I thought we were going to wear white. But, uh, uh, you know, what? what well, we'll see what happens. I think, I think I'll, I'll leave it at this. Cougar nation will be, I think, happy. I think we'll look good. It'll, it'll, it'll uh, represent well and we'll look good, you know, against uh, Notre Dame in that game. 
So it, it'll be a fun one. We know White's out. Yeah, White's out. They White's took White. Out. So you got Navy and Royal and a few figures. <laughs> Dave, what's your? You were telling me your favorite. We just saw. I, I love the. Um, I love the all whites with the Navy hat. Yeah, he. he yeah, or Dave, the Royal. The hat, Royal I mean. hat. Yeah. The helmets. Yeah, I you like that, that with cool. the Royal. Pot. Yeah, I like that. That's a John. Good what's your favorite uniform configuration? Man, I, you know, I think one of the best, at least on the field combos, is was what we wore against USC. I love that yeah. look of the of the Royal White Royal. I think that that looks yeah. so clean against against what they were wearing. That might be my favorite too. I I think that just pops. That's yep. So the the road opener is September third. What uh, what is the plan to start announcing the uniforms that you know your fans are eager to see on Twitter and Instagram? What do you, what's your plan? Yeah, we'd like to keep a little bit of intrigue with that, you know, as in years past. And, you know, I think there's there's, you know, a push for us to kind of keep it exciting on a weekly basis, as we've done in the past. Um, and, you know, just let fans know as they come. Um, I think there's some excitement there, keeping it a bit of a mystery sure. and, uh, you know, un unveiling as it comes. The big reveals each week. Yeah. We look forward to that. Uh, so now, look, you work closely with Kalani's schedule. And he's balancing a tough schedule now. He's got a newborn right. at home. We looked at a picture of of Sylvia a, a little while ago with, with the coach sound asleep. Uh, unique dynamic. you got a head coach with a newborn, and you're kind of in charge of his schedule. And in a lot of ways, you're really in charge of his program, so to speak. Um, boy, we've all had newborns at home. We all oh, know, All three of us know what that's like. Not for a long time. Thank How goodness. is this different this time around for you and, and his schedule and dealing with that? You know, I think the lucky thing is um, – Sylvie came in July, um, you know, really at a time that's a pretty slow period, all things considered, because, I mean, there's not recruiting going on. We can't have practices yet with the players. And so it's a time where a lot of times staff and coaches cut out just to have a little bit of a break before the storm. And like I say, things, things typically in terms of plans for fall camp and everything else are already done at that point. Um, as well as, you know, I've had the luxury this year of having some new staff. So, you know, Billy Nixon, yeah. um, I had, at this time, take on the responsibility of, you know, you're going to plan out camp. Like that's going to be your schedule to arrange the meals, arrange the activities, create the calendar. And I mean, he's, he was great at it. He did, he did an excellent job. And I mean, I really didn't feel like I had to oversee that much because I, I, I felt faith in his ability to do that. And so um, that allowed, and Kalani just got a new executive assistant in Christiana. And so, I mean, a lot of the things that I would have taken on before I haven't had to right now and it's, it's created some ability to uh have some spare time to focus on other things um that could benefit the program as well as you know focus on filling in for kalani where needed but um look you guys know as well as i do having newborns and i have an eight month old now who was born in november in the season um but you guys know as dads you know there's a lot that we just can't do and so you know Kalani's <laughs> around a decent amount um because it, i think it becomes to a certain point where mom's like look i've got this um yeah. you just go do your thing and, and he's got and she's got three babysitters at home that's you know, right that's right that are old enough yeah, their youngest, is, their youngest uh, other than sylvia is 12 i think yeah if i'm right the, yeah i think that's right so yeah so they got some yep. built-in babysitters at home yeah and you yeah. they work on so, the cheap sadie and too. sky sadie and sky can definitely help so you don't have to pay them yeah. You know, so, you're born hey, into this family, you're babysitting tonight. What? Yeah, John, John, you've worked with Kalani for a long time. You, you've had a chance to get to know him off of the field, away from football. What, what is it about him that you're most impressed with? Uh, he, he's a true people person. I mean, I, I don't know that I've met a person who has a more natural ability to connect with people, to read people, and who is truly genuine. 
and he is that. Um, what you see on TV, what you see in interviews is who he is. And um, there's there's no facade there. Um, it's it's all real and, and that impresses me and it motivates me and I think everyone on the football floor um, to be better and, and, and to follow that example. Now you and your wife, Whitney, have four kids, three girls, right? And, uh, yeah. and the boy is Baylor, the new one. Is he the eight month old? Yeah. So when BYU plays Baylor in the home opener and the crowd, we were thinking about the crowd start doing that go BYU beat Baylor. Is he, yeah, is he going to be okay all right? Like He'll be young like, enough to let that just go to past just not know? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he ends up uh, making an appearance in that one. We'll, we'll might have to put the headphones on his ears so that he doesn't hear that. But, uh, you know, we, we've already come to grips with the fact that we're just going to have to explain to him, look, this had nothing to do with uh, you know, someone who may very well become kind of an in-conference rival for us. So uh, it's, it's, it's fun, though. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, we got I, 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 can, I can definitely see Baylor as a long-term. That just seems like a really natural rival for BYU. So way to go with naming your son Baylor. Wow. <laughs> we have five questions for you john we do this with all the guests we'll compare yours to mark's just to see if there's any but uh um these are rapid fire yeah, these aren't the deepest you don't you don't even have to know. think about them and uh, and you just throw them out there okay all right, favorite movie favorite movie oh man that these see these rapid fire ones are going to catch me a little bit off guard can i say favorite show i'll yeah, say sure. office that's what i watch more than anything is the office yeah because you rewatch it office oh, yeah. there you go Okay, the office. Uh, favorite band? My favorite band. I'm gonna go with uh, Mumford and Sons. Ah, I didn't see. I'll be honest. I didn't see that coming. Hey, Mumford guess what? Mark Wilson said. I didn't uh, see that coming. Average either. white band. AWB. I don't even know if I've ever heard of the average. I'm gonna white play band. some for you after the show. I've so heard I'm of the really go. good white band. I've not ever heard of the average one. No, you, you'll white love band. it. All right, favorite cereal. Lucky Charms. Oh, there he is. Do you ever eat um, all of the, like, wheat or oats part of that and then just leave, like, three really good bites of nothing but the marshmallow charms for the end? You know, I always leave a few marshmallows, but I always leave a few of the oats as well. I've got to have both in the mix. Oh, so you, but you, I will tell you guys. Here's one a of balanced my favorite, diet. Yeah, i got to balance that out. I will tell you one of the best things, though, speaking of cereal, if you guys haven't tried it that you need to try, is mixing in Fruity Pebbles with Rice Krispie Treats. That's a game changer in terms of the homemade Rice Krispie Treats. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. take the Fruity Pebbles and mix them into the Rice you, Krispie you make Treats? A, you can make pure on Fruity Pebbles Rice Krispie Treats. Absolutely, with the marshmallow and all that. Yeah. Yeah, do, okay. do the mix so you go half and half. See, yeah. he's a balanced guy. Yeah, like this yes. whole idea that he can't just eat the oats or just the charms. He's always got to have a mix. It <laughs> just tells you that John's just a very well balanced guy. All right, John. Favorite ride at Disneyland? Um, I would say let's go Space Mountain. Space Mountain. Nice. Have you been on the new Star Wars ride? Everyone's talking I, about. I have actually. That that is an incredible ride. That was a fun one. But you um, like Space we Mountain better, huh? World. We've actually never been to Disneyland, just Disney World. So okay. it's on our list. We got to get out there. Yeah, I, I kind of like uh, soaring over California. Don't go on but, a Monday, but don't, Tuesday, but don't Wednesday, go on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Don't go on Saturday, soaring Sunday. over Europe at Six Flags back in Virginia because they tell you it's like soaring over California, but it's really a terror ride. Is it? I came out and laid face down on the sidewalk for forty-five minutes after That's I went right. on that ride. So right. I like I like that one at, at Disneyland. Okay. All right, and last one: favorite football stadium, not named Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Um, I'm going to go with Paul Brown. Does it, are you talking college or any, any, you said, we said any, what, how about college? 
I'll go Paul Brown. That's that's the Bengals. Yeah. What 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 about um, what's the favorite opponent's stadium you've ever been in, uh, for for a BYU game? Um, I love Washington. I I think that that is such a cool. It's a great setting, isn't it? Stadium, but I mean the Coliseum was really cool this past year. Um, and that was my first time going to a game out there. Um, but I mean there's just some neat ones. But I think being on the water there is is really cool at Washington. Cool. All right, last question for you. Uh, tomorrow at this time, which will be quarter to eight o'clock, you've had a really good day if what? Players report tomorrow, tomorrow night. You've had a really good day if what? If we don't run out of food. <laughs> Everybody's going to have a good day if they don't run out of food. That's for sure. Hey, feed the coach first. John, thank you so much for giving Thanks us some time on the us. night before uh, the guys report and uh, crazy busy awesome month begins um and congratulations on your uh new position elevated chief of staff heading into this year in the big 12 and you've got some big assignments so we appreciate you cutting out some time for us thanks guys appreciate you we'll see you guys in the season here you got it we'll see you on thursday when they let us come over and hang out yep john thanks thanks guys john swift so he's in charge of uh he's in charge of keeping kalani fed yeah and happy and um, and what will keep Kalani happy is if he's busy working on the culture and chemistry of the team, which might be his biggest challenge on his list of duties. I mean, everything, organizing, ordering, and all that stuff. But, man, chemistry is so important. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, John's job is, is a big job. It's a new position. He's basically in charge of everything. Yeah. Um, outside, like, the coaches and the staff are in charge of the actual football like putting a game plan together and uh, and coaching the players up, getting prepared to play and coaching in the games. Pretty much everything else outside of that, um, it it'll it'll be John's got his hands and and the folks that work for John have his hands in all of that. And BYU recognized in this offseason to compete in the Big 12, they had to expand that support staff in a big way and they did. So a bunch of new positions. He mentioned that Billy's in a new position, but a bunch of new positions so that BYU can compete and create that culture you're talking about. Munford and Sons. I didn't see that coming. Munford yeah, that was, and Sons. There you go. What song you does Munford and Sons a- Average sing? White Band, you didn't see either. I'm going to play both no. for you after, yeah. after this. I'm going to need to expand my, my horizons here. All right, we have uh, 15 minutes left, and we've got a lot of headlines to get to. And when we're done, you should know just about everything that's going on. That's, that's happened since we were last together and everything you need to know heading into uh, the first day of, of fall camp with the guys reporting tomorrow. We talked about Jaron Hall and the Walter Camp Player of the Year watch list. Some other guys are, are under, the, under the radar or on the radar now of, uh, of a number of things, including Keenan Peely, named to the Chuck Bedarki watch, uh, Award Watch list for Defensive player of the year in college football. Now, Peely's coming back from an ACL tear. We'll be watching him at practice Thursday to kind of see where he's at. 6'3", 233-pound junior linebacker. Got injured against Arizona State. Third game of the season. Had 17 tackles in the season opener against Arizona. How important is Peely to be fully healthy at middle linebacker? He's huge because he gives this defense an attitude. Um, And in run defense, he's a big-time inside downhill run defender. When teams try to run right at him. Remember when Utah tried to run at BYU? They couldn't run at BYU because Keenan Peely and Peyton Wilgar were there. And it it really was a a tough thing as they they got to the end of the season, didn't have those guys. So Peely's knee, I've talked to the doctors, they're saying physically he's, he's healthy. He's ready to go. 
But there's always that next step, and that's having the confidence in your head to go, okay, now it's healthy. I can do all the things I used to do yeah. and to progress as your confidence goes so you can play full speed. That's where he's at right now. we got to see that confidence grow through camp, and if he can get back to where he was, he, he's, a, he's a beast in the inside playing linebacker. How about he's an Tyler, NFL guy. Tyler Batty, we talk about the defensive line and what kind of edge rusher he's going to be, and now he's got some folks looking yep. at him. He's named to the Werfel Trophy watch list for the player who combines exemplary community service with leadership and achievement on and off the field. Um, the 6'5", 275-pound defensive end, he led the Cougars last year with 3.5 sacks, was fourth on that defense with 43 tackles. That that Werfel Trophy is a big deal. That That's that's for on and off the field um, and, and for, for being exemplary in all areas of your life. So, see Tyler's cute wife uh, lifting every day, and I and I think, I know Tyler's a big dude, but I pretty much think she can beat the crap out of him. He's a big dude. Ryan Rico's <laughs> another big dude. He's been named to the Ray Guy watch list. And you know what? Whenever I hear Ray Guy's name, I'm different, not going to think a different of thing now. Mark Wilson's story. That he, he was the greatest punter of all time, but he could not hold he could not worth hold. the darn. That was not his thing. Nope. Uh, this award goes to the nation's best punter. Rico's 6'6", 235, sophomore. He was number five in the country last year with an average of 48.58. Yeah, impressive. A kick. How about that 83-yarder? Oh, my God. Against Gosh, uh, number 19, crazy. Arizona, uh, or Arizona State. And um, it's been kind of tough for him. I saw an interesting stat. Uh, BYU was ranked 126 the last year in punts attempted in it might, games. It might be worse this year. Yeah. So if you but don't get a go kick, then you don't get a Sometimes you don't get the, the recognition charts. because you don't have enough kicks to qualify. I'll say this. He's getting recognition. NFL scouts know who he is. Yeah. He, he's got the leg to kick a long time. Reminds me of a right-footed Lee Johnson with a power he hits the ball with, and Lee played a long time in the NFL. How about Jake Oldroyd? Yeah, Jake Oldroyd named to the Lou Groza Award watch list for the nation's best place kicker. Oldroyd finished runner-up in 2020, and uh, he made all 13 of his field goals attempts. That was in 2020. Last year, despite missing three games with a sore back, he converted 42 of 43 extra points. He was 9 of 13 on field goal attempts. His longest was 49 yards. His most important kick may have been the field goal to seal the win against Utah. In the last two seasons, he's 13 of 14 inside the 40. So he's automatic once you get inside that 40. East High School tight end Matthew Frederick committed to the Cougars this week in the 2023 recruiting class. 24-7 sports ranks him a three-star, lists him as the 14th best prospect in the state of Utah. He's 6'5". Everyone's 6'5". It seems he's 230. He joins four-star tight end Jackson Bowers in that 2023 class. Yep. Oh, I'm telling you, it's the, the recruiting classes just keep piling up, and BYU is really doing a great job. We mentioned this, but but officially Notre Dame, uh, they're going to wear their white jerseys with gold helmets when they meet BYU in Vegas on October 8th. Uh, the showdown at Allegiant Stadium, is it's sold out now, according to Notre Dame. The Irish made quite the announcement. We were talking about it with John Swift. They did a spoof of the movie The Hangover, uh, which was it was really clever. I, I, did you see it? You saw it, right? Dave? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Um, the only question is what color scheme will the Cougars wear? And what will they roll out? Will it be royal? Will it be navy? A mixture of both? Um, we we asked John Swift. He says they're not ready to make that announcement. But he said we'd be proud of it. Yep, we'd be proud of it. We know it's and, not white. Yep. And, well, it can't be white yeah. because Notre Dame's wearing white with gold helmets. So, so. is it navy? What do you think it's going to be? Navy or royal? I think it's going to be royal. Royal head to toe royal, meaning no, tops think, and bottoms? I think it's going to be a royal white royal. So royal hat, royal jersey, white oh, pants. I think royal hat, white jersey. Well, they can't no, wear white. Ro- royal 
um, hat, royal jersey, white pants. White pants. With, ro- with royal piping. That'd be a good look. That's what I think it's going to be. Pac-12 preseason media poll projects Oregon number two and Stanford number eight. The Ducks host BYU on September 17th. The Cardinal hosts the Cougars on Thanksgiving weekend to wrap up the regular season. Of the teams BYU beat last year, Utah's pick number one, USC's number three, Washington State's number seven, Arizona State's number 10, Arizona's number 11. BYU went 5-0 and against Pac-12 teams in 2021. I'm picking USC to win it this year. Yeah. USC's going to win the Pac-12. I think so. With Lincoln Riley. You're right. Realignment update. Um, the Pac-12 commissioner really upset with the Big 12 for trying to poach teams. Um, interesting that in the in the Pac-12 media days, didn't say anything about the Big 10 who actually took two teams. Yeah. More concerned, Brett Yormark, uh, that, that uh, or not Brett Yormark, but... Uh, um, Oh, how do you say Klamakov? was more concerned about the Big Twelve. Um, he was concerned that your mark made the comment the Big Twelve is open for business, and he made some comments specific to that. Um, uh, for, former Bob Bowlesby's um, retirement began on Monday. Yeah. So you know what I think? I think your mark is in USC and UCLA hurt the Pac-12. I think uh, they're bent out of shape at the Big Twelve. Because the Big 12 can destroy the Pac-12. Right. And it's it's just interesting to me. No mention of the fact that the Big 10 came and took the marquee market from them in Los Angeles, the USC and UCLA. Didn't say anything about that, but but specifically pointed out that the Big 12 were bad guys. Yeah. I thought, we'll that, was, happens, I thought that was really interesting. CBS Sports released its top 25 today, and they have BYU just outside at number 26. As far as BYU opponents, Notre Dame is number 6, Baylor's number 10, Oregon is 15. Arkansas is 16. The Cougars ranked ahead of Florida, Texas, Iowa, and Ole Miss, but sitting at 26 in the CBS sports poll. But 24-7's got a different take. Yeah, and there, there's a lot. We, we've seen all kinds of two early polls coming out. Yeah. BYU's anywhere from number, I think the highest I've seen them is about 15, 14 or 15, and up as high as 26. That's that's the worst I've seen them. Um, 24-7 sports, they released their projections of what they think the AP poll will be. Um, uh, in the top 25 when it's released. They think BYU will be number 16 when that poll comes out. They have Notre Dame at number 6. They have Baylor at number 11, Oregon at 14, and Arkansas at 18. So That seems hey, B- about right. BYU's certainly going to have their opportunity to prove how good they are with this schedule and what's expected. As for active weeks in the top 25, according to College Football Home, Alabama leads the free world with 229 <laughs> consecutive weeks ranked in the top 25. Of BYU's opponents, Notre Dame is number three overall with 78 weeks. Oregon's number eight with 16. Baylor is number 14 with nine consecutive weeks. And BYU's sitting there at number 15 with eight. That's impressive. Do you remember not that long ago when we were like, what happened to Notre Dame? Remember when they were really good? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, and then they got really bad. And then they got really bad for a while. We wondered if NBC was going to walk away from yeah, that and then TV they contract. got really good again, and yeah. they're really good. And BYU plays them this year. Yeah, they're they're consistently right up there now. Number three overall, 78 weeks. FBSschedules.com released their strength of schedule ratings. Of course, these are based on opponents' win-loss records from last season. So the first so one, however it, good they were yeah, last it, year? It, it, it updates okay. um, as the season goes on because they bring new data into it as the season goes on. They rank BYU with the 13th most difficult schedule in college football for this fall. Um, BYU's 2022 opponents won 60.8% of their games last season. Um, for BYU opponents, Arkansas schedules ranked the third toughest and Boise State is the fifth toughest. The Utes are projected to have the 113th toughest schedule. Maybe that's why they're 
stuck up high in these yeah, polls. Yeah, they, because they, they know they're just going to go win a bunch of games. BYU basketball's final year in the WCC, we learned this today, will begin Thursday, December 29th at Pacific. The league announced the conference schedule this afternoon. Gonzaga will probably be ranked number one, two, or three when they yeah. come to Provo. When are they ever worse than three? A Thursday. Ever. It's a Thursday night this year, January 12th, and then BYU goes to Spokane on Saturday, February 11th. St. Mary's comes to Provo on Saturday, January 28th. That's close to Super Bowl weekend. The Cougars go to Moraga on Saturday, February 18th. The regular season ends at home against San Francisco on Saturday, February 25th before the Cougars play their final West Coast Conference tournament in Vegas, and we'll be there for that. They'll play three of their first four games on the road mm-hmm. in conference and five of their last eight at home. Seems like that's a reversal of last year. Seems like yeah. they were on the road down the stretch last year and played early games at home. Non-conference schedule is yet to be released. Uh, we anticipate the season opener will be Idaho State, um, which is what we've heard on November 7th. That'll be at the Marriott Center, of course, if we'll that's the game, we'll be there, and we'll bring it to you live on BYU TV. We Dave will be will, on the we'll, call. Dave and I will call that for you. Cougars will face USC in the first round of the Battle for Atlantis tournament over Thanksgiving in, in the Bahamas. I, that's the one I want to call. With you. <laughs> yeah, we should be at that one. That one's November 23rd, Three Mountain on ESPN2. Uh, the other first-round matchups are Kansas, North Carolina State, Dayton, Wisconsin, and Tennessee against Butler. This is an amazing group of teams. That's a loaded group of you, you historically... Get, Big time basketball. If you program. get two wins out of there, oh yeah, your yes. RPI is going to be high the rest of the year. Yeah, that, there, hey, even if you lose your games there, your RPI. Just the fact helped. that you played Kansas, yeah. maybe day there, two. There's there's times when BYU and the WCC plays teams and they win and their RPI goes down. Yeah, you can, like most of the time, you can lose these games and your RPI goes up. So, um, the Big Twelve extended its basketball agreement with the Big East. Uh, to continue that Big Twelve Big East battle, yeah. where they do all this cross, uh, you know, cross. Uh, it's like that ACC right. Big Ten challenge. Big challenge. Same so, thing. So it's through the 24-25 season. Um, this is where teams, each conference, they face each other during November and December. It means BYU will factor into the scheduling for at least two seasons when it joins the Big 12. Maybe Villanova would yeah. come to Provo. That would be really fun. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. Uh, BYU soccer. First official practice is in the books tonight. The women's team is underway. You can get your first look at Jen Rockwood's squad Saturday in the blue-white scrimmage. Live coverage from Southfield starts at 7 Mountain on the BYU TV app. Last year's national runner-up opens the season August 13th at North Carolina. And just while we've been on the air tonight, the coaches poll came out. Right on. And BYU's ranked number three. Of course they are. Florida State's ranked number one. That's who beat BYU in penalty kicks last year. North Carolina's at number 10. So, you know what? BYU lost a lot of firepower, but Jen Rockwood on they got the a bunch show. Left. She told they us got, they got a bunch coming got, back. And they're sitting at number three in the top 25. How my about favorite that? part about when Jen came on, first of all, she's just awesome, but when Jen came on and we asked her about moving to the Big 12, and she said, hey, we'll play anybody, anytime, any place, doesn't matter. We match up with anyone. And, and that, they are. And that's the way the team feels. Yeah. And, they, and she's not just – that's not like somebody saying that in their head to try to convince themselves – they're as good as anybody in the country in soccer. They're a national power. So how about number three, BYU, at number 10, North Carolina, yeah, to open that? the season? That's going to be pretty fun. And and I think we got a great season in front of us for that uh, BYU women's soccer team again. Yeah. So how about NCAA transfer rule? We talked about this uh, last week, the possibility they're going to just open it up and you can transfer anytime you want, as many times as you want. The Division One Board of Directors will vote tomorrow on whether to allow student-athletes unlimited transfers. So... 
It'll be really interesting. A number of reports suggest that it's unlikely to pass keeping the current one-time transfer rule in place. The one time has been devastating enough. Yeah, Can you imagine I, if you have a blank check and you just you played four schools in four years? Yeah. So at Cougar Stats tweeted the average P five program lost sixteen transfers last year. So it's it's and more than eighty percent of those transfers have found new programs, including BYU benefited from this. Yeah. Chris Brooks, the Cal running back, who's expected to start at tailback for BYU. Our running back uh, in that that September third opener. Average P five team lost sixteen guys 16 to guys. the portal. Yeah, not graduation because you lose guys there too. Right, right. That's a that punch in the gut. Tony Finau, our good friend, became uh, the first player on the PGA Tour that? this season to win back to back tournaments. He's on fire. Yeah, he's he's on he's on a heater. He won the Rocket Mortgage Classic outside Detroit on Sunday with a tournament record twenty six under par. Golf writer Kurt Cragthorpe, who's as good as there is says Tony's back-to-back wins mark the best two weeks for a Utah native in professional golf ever. He's up to number seven in the FedEx standings with the playoffs starting August 11th at the St. Jude Championship. And, 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 on, and on the the tournament broadcast, the guys were saying, Tony's got to be the favorite right now Yeah, to, to win the FedEx Cup. No one's playing with, with the way he's playing right now, he is dialed in. And what a great representative of this state Um in his interviews after that, he's just so humble and, and, and you know, he talked about to be a great, great champion. You're just really a loser that, that has lost. You have to lose a bunch and learn from losing to figure out how to close it out and win, which Tony has just done in tremendous fashion this last couple of weeks. And he just always defers to family. Awesome. Yeah. Just awesome interviews. He's back home this week. He had his foundation golf tournament mm-hmm. Monday, uh, at Oak Ridge Country Club, where the Utah Championship is this week on the Corn Ferry Tour. And there's a lot of Cougars on there. Yeah, you have uh, Carson Lundell, Patrick Fishburne, Daniel Summerhays, Peter Quest, Zach Blair. That tournament runs Thursday through Sunday this week. A lot of former and current Cougars involved in that. Major League Baseball trade deadline was early this afternoon. As you can see, Blaine and I are still here. What are you talking about? I we were not, we did were I not, not tell you about where I have to report tomorrow? <laughs> you're, you're, I know where you're going tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and I know where you're going to be back here next Tuesday, yeah. so I do know that. Unfortunately, I'll be in Seattle tomorrow, but not playing for the Mariners. No. Michael Rucker, by the way, the lone BYU Cougar on any 40-man roster in Major League Baseball. Uh, we texted back and forth today. He's back in, in with the Cubs. He's at St. Louis. I don't know if he's pitched yet tonight, but he's in the bullpen. So he's back in the show. Yeah, pretty good. And a uh, cool. great story about him that uh, in the Deseret News on his up and down year uh, between the Iowa Cubs and the Chicago Cubs. Back in the Cubs bullpen tonight. And we, we, I, I said congratulations. By the way, we hate the Cardinals. You know, <laughs> we're not. McCanns are not no, into the Cardinals. Cubs is all the way. Cubs no. are the team for the McCanns. So hey, we mentioned to you that we would we would uh, give you a list of who was. Um, vying to be on 53-man rosters. Yeah. NFL camps all open. Um, so here, here's a list of players. Fred Warner with the 49ers. He's in. Zach Wilson and Kai Nakua with the Jets. Wilson's in. Nakua, yeah, does he have to earn his spot? Yeah, or do you think have, he's in? No, he'll have to learn, but I think he's got a great chance because okay. he's a veteran, right? All right? Tyler Algier with the Falcons. In. He'll be in. Taysom Hill. Got in. some bruised ribs right now, but he'll be in. Daniel Sorensen with the Saints. He's in. Very he's specific. In? Oh, yeah. Very specific role. for And they gave him some... They gave him a, a veteran guarantee, and so I think he's guaranteed at like a half a million bucks. They're not going to cut a guy, so he's going to play. They expect him to be a big-time special teams guy and back up both safeties. I think Danny's in. Neil Powell with the Bills. That's, be tough. He's got to that, earn his way. That's the one. Dax Milne with the Commanders. It would be his second season. 
So until you've been a couple of years, you're never a shoe in. So that right. one's Jamal Williams of the Lions. He's in. Um, great, great personality. He's on, teams he's love on NFL him. Hard Knocks, and he's teams love you him. See him on Twitter all the time, and he just yeah. makes you smile. Kyle Van Noy and Michael Davis Chargers starters. Like not just are they oh, in? Yeah. They'll start. Um, Kyrus Tonga with the Bears. He's, he's in. in. Absolutely, he had a great season. Sione Takitaki with the Browns. He's in. Mm-hmm. Brady Christensen with the Panthers. Panthers starter. He's in. Yeah, projected at left tackle. Yeah. For a second year. Uh, Harvey Lange with the Patriots. Um, if he can stay healthy, I think he's in. Okay. He's a, he's a proven commodity. Matt Bushman, Zane Anderson with the Chiefs. Just saw a report yesterday that Zane Anderson had a really good day in camp yesterday. So um, both have a, a shot to, to, to be on that roster. Uh, but they both have to earn it. Both have to earn it. Chris Wilcox, Samson Nakua, Tyson Williams, all with the Colts. Um, I think Tyson's in. He's in. Yeah, um, Sam Samson and uh, and Chris. It's, it's earn, they got to earn it. They have to have, make some big time plays. Troy Warner with the Bucks. Same. Got to make some plays. And James MC, MP with the Cowboys. Same thing. It's it's about timing. It's about who's there. Sometimes it's about guys getting hurt or not getting hurt. I was reading Dan, Danny Sorensen's bio the other day, and I, and I forgot that they kind of signed him to be a. He's on the practice squad, and then they brought him up. He's just going to be a backup guy. Had two safeties in front of him. They both got hurt, and then he played, and then they never could get him out of the lineup. Yeah, played great. So sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time when you make those teams. The NFL on CBS tweeted out the most valuable NFL franchises. The Cowboys are number one at $7.64 billion. The Rams, Super Bowl champs, they're next at $5.91. That's how much the Cowboys have up on everybody. Wow. A Patriots at $5.8 billion, but in the least valuable. Yeah, the Bungles, or the Bengals, as other people call them, 2.84. No and you know what? They got to the Super Bowl last I know. year. I, I, they got to figure that I out. I grew up calling them the Bungles. And then, <laughs> then the Lions, 2.86, and, and the Jaguars, 2.94. Yeah, no real surprise there no, no. on those so, guys. Hey, our future guest next week, Dennis Pitta, Super Bowl champion, speaking of the NFL, will be here. And Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach, a national champion of his own at Kentucky. August 16th, Marie Osmond and Robbie Bosco. Right on. August 23rd, Major Clark Heyman in charge of the flyovers for the home opener and last year's Utah game, mm-hmm. the F-15s. Went below That's the flight be, deck. I'm telling you, went below We're going to have it. some wild stories. He'll never admit it, but we know he did. <laughs> we're going to have some wild stories. Caleb Chapman, BYU grad, one of the greatest musicians around is, is and his ability to teach kids. He's going to bring a saxophone in. We're going to have fun is he with him. teach us how to play it? No, but he's going to play for us. Yeah. Okay. And then August 30th, Brandon Doman is on board to join us as we get ready for the the So, re- BYU the Boy 716 7, asked us, when's Steve Young coming on? We're You're going to talk to him next week, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'll see Steve. Um, no, it's in a couple of weeks. But we want to bring Steve on in the middle of football season. Steve Young, Ty Detmer, all the bigs. Yeah, we'll bring him on during football season. So. All right, are we ready? I know uh, networks, we're, uh, we're a few... Four minutes a few over. minutes past yeah. uh, so we the get, 10 o'clock hour we'll on the East quick. Coast. But let's talk about this day in history. Because there were a lot of things. August, August 2nd. And then we'll finish up with our Lavelle Edwards quote and, and say goodbye. And 1610, English explorer Henry Hudson enters the bay that would later be named after him Hudson Bay. How about that? Today. Back, back close to home. 1776, the formal signing of the United States Declaration of Independence That's on this cool. day. 1858, the first mailboxes are installed along Boston and New York City streets. So Boston and New York with mailboxes. And the next day, the first uh, sightings of M80s in mailboxes. No, that's not true. Uh, 1865, Lewis Carroll publishes Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I can't believe that that's 1865. Amazing. 
1909, the first Lincoln penny is issued. Very first one. You know, there was a penny shortage. I don't know where we're at now with the pennies, but I got pennies all over the place. If When pennies become worth two cents, you know what I'm going to do? Cash them in. Oh, yeah, definitely. 1921, a Chicago jury acquits eight Chicago White Sox players, including Shoeless Joe Jackson, mm-hmm. accused in the Black Sox scandal for allegedly throwing the 1919 World Series against the Reds. The next day, they were all banned from organized baseball for life. And, you if know, you build Field, it, Field of Dreams if was you build it, they will come. tagged into that story. Shoeless Joe. How about that? What a scandal back in 1921. Just imagine if that was going on today. Oh, my goodness. People would be out of their minds. 1934, on this day, Adolf Hitler becomes Germany's commander-in-chief, becomes the Fuhrer. <sighs> on this not, day, 1934. Not a, good, not a good day for anybody. No. 1990, Iraq invades Kuwait, and President Bush orders troops to Saudi Arabia ahead of the Gulf War. How about something good on this day? August 2nd, 1996, the Dream Team defeats Yugoslavia to win the gold medal in the 96 Atlanta Games. This was the second Dream Team. No Jordan, Bird, or uh, Magic on that. But it had Shaq, Olajuwon, Penny Hardaway, Barkley, Reggie Miller, Stockton Malone, David Robinson, Scotty Pippen, Gary Payton, Grant Hill, and Mitch Richmond. Still pretty good. Yeah. World it's couldn't it's touch not them. the original Dream Team, but it still was pretty dang good. Birthdays on this day... Just two that we want to talk about. 1868, you got to go to Constantine the first, king of Greece. Yeah, I, that's you, old school. I, where'd you got that? Where you got that? <laughs> I don't know. That's obscure. But 1960, Apollonia from Purple Rain, of course. We all remember, of course, that motorcycle ride and the great music of Purple Rain. See, we both agree the Prince is good. Yeah. So, deaths though. We should have done deaths first and then birthdays, but deaths. 1876, Wild Bill Hickok. How about that? And then 1820 or 1922, Alexander Graham Bell. Where would we be without? I think the Alexander Graham Bell made an impact on the world. Seriously, because of Alex Graham Bell, I'm going to check my phone right now and see if the Cubs beat the Cardinals. Well, in, I'll, in I'll let people know oh, what the number one song was on we're August second, 1973. The morning after, Maureen McGovern. There's got to be a morning after. You know what? I had to I had to think about that song for yeah. a minute, and then it all came back. But but the number one movie, 1984. Come on. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> I remember. I think I saw that three times or something. So good. And you and you and that was one of the movies like Caddyshack um, and and there's just a few of them where you can quote so many things oh, and everybody knows what everybody you're knows about. what you're talking about. If you hadn't seen that movie, you were out of touch. Yeah. So. All right. Here's our quote from Lavelle. We'll get out of here for the night. But we've had such a great show. Mark Wilson was outstanding. Oh, so fun. And John Swift, I thought, took us right into. Ready for camp. Into signing a kids reporting and, and getting on the practice field. Here's what Lavelle said on his decision to start passing the football back in 1972 when he became head coach. Lavelle said, at that time, we didn't really have the talent to be able to line up and compete with many teams. Stanford had recently had some success throwing the ball with Jim Pluckett. He was the 1970 Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. I figure with most defenses built to focus on stopping the run, we would try and pass the ball. Once we became successful and began to recruit better players, I just decided to stick with that offense. Think about that and that decision. Uh, and then you throw in Jim Plunkett, and you talk to Mark, Mark Wilson, who was on with us earlier tonight. And Wilson um, was backing up Plunkett in his first Super Bowl in mm-hmm. 1980. And then Wilson got hurt in 83, and Plunkett came in and won the Super Bowl. And Wilson was the holder because he had a, a broken shoulder. But here's Plunkett and Wilson. Wilson was one of the 
one of the benefactors of Lavelle's choice, and Plunkett was one of the influencers of yep. Lavelle. Full circle. And that whole West Coast offense, Lavelle had a big hand in that, and that permeated the National Football League for a long, long time. There's still elements of it in the NFL and in college football. And, uh, and you know, Bill Walsh and Lavelle Edwards ended up being friends. The Niners were the – there was that tie to Stanford from Bill mm-hmm. Walsh, and the yep. Niners ended up being the – and the that, gurus and this, of the West Coast the tie offense. Of Steve Young and I, Bill I, Walsh. I remember during spring ball, Bill Walsh would just make his way over to practice every year and visit with Lavelle and come watch practice yeah. and all of that. So he was he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, and uh, and so did Lavelle, and um, and I, I still go back to Mark Wilson's story when he went in to tell Lavelle he was leaving. Lavelle said, "Just after the '78 season, just need to think about it." Then he put his Take name a on the months. list. Think about it with another twenty guys. And back comes Doug Scoville, changes yes. Mark's life. Changes Jim McMahon's life because he was so excited to have Scoville back. And then they both uh, have Super Bowls, first, first round, round draft picks, and uh, Legendary. All Americans, College Football Hall of Famers. Part of the great uh, history. And now Jaron Hall is going to try to carve his piece out. Yep. It'll be fun. So next week, we'll be into practice. We'll have updates from practice. We'll show you some video of practice and, uh, and much more as we count down now in the month of August. We're, uh, now we're counting down to game that. day. We're counting down to fall camp. Now we're counting down to game day. Down to Blaine Fowler, I'm Dave McKen. We're the wise guys. Look for the podcast up tomorrow. Tell your friends about it. The Mark Wilson interview, you, you want to hear again, and your BYU friends will want to hear it for the first time. Yep, make sure you uh, tell If they them. missed this. And, and John Swift, too, I thought gave us great, great insights. I'm looking forward to Dennis Pitta and Mark Pope next week. And, and Medward, happy family home evening to you, too. <laughs> what is Tuesday? So he said, "Happy family home evening." I don't know. All right, okay. Well, you know what? It's we're we've had maybe, a happy maybe that's what meeting. we do for family home evening on Tuesdays is we all just get together. This is our family. We we thank our family for being with us tonight. We'll see y'all. See ya.